It's three and out here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're with us all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. A lot to get to here on the show. Drew Chronic, Mercer head coach, will join us. Had their uh, season opener this past week. Big 69 to nothing win. They take a slight step up in competition this week, Ben, as they take on the Alabama Crimson Tide. So we'll talk to Drew Chronic about that. They, of course, one of those teams at the FCS level. Played a little bit in the fall. Played a little bit in the spring. Uh, now back with everybody else playing a full schedule here this fall. So he will join us here on the program. We'll also hear from Josh Pate with the late kick with Josh Pate, 247 Sports. We'll talk some college football with him coming up in the final hour of the show uh, as well. So plenty to get to. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're also streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, uh, streaming the show live there as well. We encourage you to join us. Leave us a comment uh, there as well. But, Ben, a lot of things to get to here right out of the gate, some, uh, some, some quick topics. One we brought up a little bit yesterday. Uh, it was a big focal point from at least broadcasting crews, I thought, during the first five days of college football uh, from last week. And that was the targeting. How many guys were getting called for it? How many guys were getting ejected for it? How many guys were missing significant time uh, from either the rest of the game or a game next week, which has nothing to do with the game uh, at hand? And how do you fix it? Because I don't think targeting is going away. We're in a, an era where everybody is obviously concerned about player safety and I can you could say well we were concerned about player safety before I don't know if we were in a way like this where every little thing hey there's a bunch of shoulder injuries well maybe we need to figure out what's it but obviously targeting head CTE stuff that is at the first for, uh, forefront of everybody's mind so I don't think you're going to get rid of targeting but are we calling it too much or do we just need to change the way it's being called at the end of the day I do think we need to err on the side of I do think we need to err on the side of caution, uh, Kevin, but it's it's becoming ridiculous. I, how many was it? Four, four uh, targeting calls and ejections in the Ole Miss, you know, uh, Louisville game. Look, I understand that you know everybody. This is what happens. Everybody wants to get bigger. Everybody wants to be faster. Everybody wants to be stronger. The problem is this is when replay doesn't help because we're looking at this thing slowed down. That's not how fast it happened in real time. Now. The defenseless player, I can understand that. But it's like driving around with no windshield wipers and then hope it doesn't rain. No, we got on helmets. You're gonna helmets <laughs> are gonna collide. You know who you know who helmets collide every single play? That would be offensive alignment, defensive alignment. They're colliding heads every single play. But what happens is when we see a receiver get hit, I mean I unfortunately safeties, linebackers, defensive players hit hard, but to work as hard as you work, to only have what, twelve? 13 opportunities a year to have it taken away from you in the first quarter because of targeting. How can you judge intent? Like, how do you know that player was targeting him or are they just trying to separate him from that pigskin? So I do agree, Kevin. I do understand why they're doing it, but it's, it's almost like to a point to where like you're trying to make a point because what you're really doing is you're making players slow down. Hey, I'm not going to go as hard as I would have gone because I don't want to hit a guy, quote, too hard. What's the linebacker name for Clemson? He got kicked out of both college football playoff, um, you know, uh, James Kalski. And I understand that sometimes it's going to happen, but are we punishing players from being football players? Because that's what it looks like. You're being punished from being a football player. Now, if this is a defensive player and you and you and you just go helmet to helmet, that's different. But it, these games mean too much. These players put in too much. 
to have to have these uh, these striped shirts out, these zebras out there deciding these calls. I just I understand, but I also don't get why it's so widespread. It's almost like they got a quota to me. Hey man, we ain't had nobody get thrown out yet, so make sure. So I don't think it's good for the game because Kevin, I do agree. It's all about the players. It's all about player safety. But unfortunately, sometimes you're gonna get hit on. Like you are, you're gonna get helmet to helmets are almost unavoidable. And people go, well, they can see the guy. He can see the guy he's hit. Yeah, but did you see the guy he hit duck his head? Forget the guy who hit him. The guy he hit, he ducked, which means that because he was trying to go. So I I understand what they're trying to do, but I just think that college is the wrong place to be trying to make that. Guys will get kicked out like that in the NFL, and they get paid to play. So yeah, I, I, I understand. I do better. I just think again, again, I don't mind even calling targeting. I just think the fact that you're eliminating a guy from a game uh, for it is a little much. Uh, where you're affecting the, I mean, we we always talk all the time. Hey. I don't want officiating crews affecting the outcome of the game in terms of I don't want a bad call to determine the outcome of the game. I don't want this, a missed call to determine. Okay, that's fine. Well, how about we not eject players for, for football plays? As you said, Ben, for football plays that in real speed, you brace for impact. If you're about to get tackled, sometimes you lower your head and you take one. Um, I don't have a problem with the targeting call. I think it's when you eliminate guys from the game. And, again, we've seen it time and time again. We'll have defensive players, been play three-plus quarters. Two minutes left in the fourth quarter. They haven't had a penalty called on them all game. And you have some incidental contact, targeting, ejection, and now they can't play next week in the first half. And I think that's, to me, where it goes uh, a little bit overboard. Now, the reason I think you can do this is because, again, football's somewhat to blame for this because – we did go through an era where we glorified the big hit and every highlight was a dude getting knocked out or getting spun around or knocked off his feet and, you know, coming up high, just clipping dudes up by their head and their shoulders. Okay, we glorified that. Now we're trying to take that away. But we have taken it away to the point where I think nine times out of ten, that's not how kids and guys playing football now are operating. Uh, you may have some random guys that, I, that maybe do some of that, but I think by and large, Ben, uh, just from talking with you and seeing how uh, someone who's been in the league interacts, you know if a guy's out there headhunting, if he's got that reputation, versus a guy who's just making a play and it happened to happen. I, I, I would imagine in all of your time playing football, you know if somebody's trying to really come after you and cause you harm versus this guy's just trying to hit hard and make a football play on me and maybe you know it got a little low or he got a little high around the head and it was incidental versus this guy I know is coming to knock me out uh, regardless. And I think we've gotten away from a lot of that because players are aware of head and neck injuries, that the intentional spearing and things, that has come way down. A lot of it seems to be just inadvertent, unintentional targeting where the two helmets come together and a guy gets tossed out of the game for it. And offensive players are not dumb. Ben, I mean, you mean to tell me in all your time playing, if this was a rule when you played, hey, if I lower my head a little bit, I might draw an extra 15. True indeed. I mean, I mean, you don't yeah. think offensive players think like that? Of course they do. Well, yeah. It, it, look, we're talking about the exception. Like, like when you see all these targeted calls, it makes it seem as if, Kevin, it was like this widespread. All these how – many, how many weekends can you go without – and I said, okay, with all the games that was played, how many targeted calls was called? Oh, it was about five or six. So out of all the games – targeting and targeting football is like – getting hit with a pitch. 
guys get hit with guys get hit with pitches. It don't. It's not. It's not widespread. It's not happening every game. You know why? Because pitches will get thrown out. Because teams won't have anybody to go out there and play with. So I do get it, but you don't kick them out the game. I mean, back when I played, and I'm not that. Oh, this was the greatest era of football. No, <laughs> a part of football is a part of football is how much, how much, uh, you know, how much pain can you endure? Like sometimes. You don't even know how good of a player you are until you really get hit hard. So when you see a player land on the ground, sometimes he ain't hurt. Sometimes he's just gathering his thoughts like, oh, my freaking God, he just knocked my block off. And the problem is, if you ever look at the player that got hit when he comes to, he's looking around saying, wait a minute, they threw him out? Because sometimes man, you're going to get hit hard. It is unavoidable. I'm just saying, when you play, when you play a certain sport – it's brutal. Football is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. People are out there colliding, and sometimes it collide. It's a real big boom. And sometimes, that, now, if the guy that got hit didn't have a helmet on, I get it. But both of them got on helmets, and sometimes you're gonna get hit hard. I played with, I played against, you know, John Lynch. I played against Ed Reed, and Troy Polamalu, and Bob Sanders. They would knock you all out. They would knock your whole block off. So. I don't know, Kevin. I, I understand, like I said, I understand what they're trying to do, but you sending the wrong message because if you don't think those offensive players are saying, "Hey, coach," if player jumping up, tapping themselves on the head, saying, "Coach," I mean, ref, you need to watch that. I, the NCAA is in a very, very, you know, a peculiar situation because if they keep on calling them, they're gonna say, and the D, and the, and that opposing team say, "Okay, well, who do we got to play with now?" You're getting when I'm gonna have a D lineman. At safety, you think guys out there getting hit. All right. So I, I just think that it's too much, Kevin, because if it's blatant, kick him out. But if it's football, unsportsmanlike conduct, 15 yards, don't kick the player out the game. And, again, I, I know uh, just talking with Christian, he disagrees with, with kind of my assessment on it. He's like, look, by now everybody knows what the rule is. Tackle with your head up. Don't lower your head, and you won't get tossed. And, and, you won't get, and I understand that to a degree, but, again, I think it happens so fast, and by and large, you're not seeing it done in an intentional manner uh, anymore. Are there a few times where you just see a guy lead, leave his feet, and that head goes right at him like you're a missile? Yeah, that happens. And by all means, uh, you can probably say if he does that, he's intent. But when you're going down for a tackle, and the guy is crouched down and the helmet's touched, that's, to me, you shouldn't be out of the game for that. So I, I believe the way, if we, the way we saw it in the first week, Ben, there's, this is going to be a thing that I think continues throughout the season. There may be some momentum for changing the rule to where it's not an automatic ejection. But, hey, you can still call the penalty. It's just not an automatic, hey, you're gone. Because as you said, a couple of those in a quarter, and you could lose your entire secondary pretty quick, uh, you know, if you're yeah, not uh, – And your linebackers. Plays happen really – sometimes plays happen extremely fast. Kevin, you – it's like – Watch it! Watch somebody throw a fastball from TV. It ain't the same as being right there. You're like, dude, I don't think I understand how fast this ball is moving because you're right there. I mean, you, you turn your head and it's there. That's how fast things happen. If a guy can run 40 yards in four in four what four three, that's how fast things are happening. For, coming from a person who's gotten knocked the hell out, <laughs> you don't remember it anyway. I, I've gotten knocked out. I remember running down on kickoff. I remember getting hit, and I remember trying to stay up, and I remember waking up with a 
nice little ball cap I got on now. Somebody yelling my name. So don't feel bad for the guy that got hit. He don't remember it anyway. All he remembers <laughs> uh, is watch out for that freight train. We'll, we'll see. Also, some other news and notes. Uh, apparently, the Red Box Bowl has been uh, canceled. That was going to be the 16 <laughs> for the Pac-12 versus the 17 for the Big Ten. We didn't need to see that. It's good. Less bowl games. I've, I've, I'm standing by that. Less bowl games. What about the, what about the gift cards? Do I get the gift cards? So hold on. So would I don't you care about Kevin it. if you got the gift card? Yeah, I don't get gift, card, gift cards. It can go bye-bye. It's fine with me. <laughs> we'll come back. We got more to come. Drew Chronic going to join us here in hour number one as well. And certainly we like to overreact, but probably not more so than after week one. We'll get to that when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Three and out on this Wednesday. Drew Chronic, head football coach at Mercer, going to join us coming up in just a little bit. But, Ben, it has been one whole week of full-fledged college football. I realize we had some teams playing week zero. But if we're going to overreact, now's the time to really overreact, right? I mean, we're going to do so after the first week of the college football season. So what do you feel like we are overreacting to the most right now in college football? football season is going to end and we think that you know if your team lost they are the worst that's why i can't stand them and if they won i told y'all man we're making improvements you know nothing about your team after week one you really don't like what do you know about your team in florida they got a quarterback controversy and they ran for 400 yards is quarterback controversy no just let them hand the ball off until proven otherwise hand the ball off if you are at clemson they stink they can't even get a first down. They can't even get a touchdown. No, it is week one, and I get it. Sam Howell, he ain't good. Virginia Tech, <laughs> they're going to win the ACC. Clemson, they average. You know, it's Kevin, it shows you why college football is so engulfing, right? Because we used to be the one talking ourselves off the ledge. Now we're talking other people off the ledge. It, it's week one. Because guess what? The, the teams that won this week, not named Alabama, not named Georgia, not name Oklahoma, not name Ohio State. They can lose next week. So I'm not going to get too high and too low about this thing, Kevin. I understand that college football is unforgiving, and we as fans know good and well we are our worst enemy because we talk more trash than anybody. But it'll be just fine. It's week one. I, I'm pretty sure it'll be just fine. I mean, one thing I think people are definitely overreacting to, and maybe it's just uh, from from BJ and some, some folks around here on this show, is that – Oh, Auburn is looking just tremendous. I mean, they beat Akron. I mean, let, let's calm down. Like, I know Brian Harson's going to have – I mean, did you expect Brian Harson's offense going to come in and just – I mean, I know we looked at Texas A&M and they were kind of pedestrian a little bit. Florida was kind of pedestrian a little bit uh, in the first half. But, I mean, I think everybody's over here saying, oh, wow. Auburn. I mean, look, yes, they look good in week one. Let's calm down a little bit uh, because, again, it was Akron who I, I believe did not win a game last year. So – I think we just need to pump the brakes on Auburn. Let's, and I said, I'll make my assessment on Auburn in a couple of weeks when they start to jump into SEC play and see how they stack up uh, that way. But, I mean, the fact they look good against Akron, I don't know if that tells me a whole lot one way or another. I think people are overreacting to Auburn saying, uh-oh, Auburn's there. They could be sneaky. And maybe in a, in, a, in a little bit, are we overreacting to LSU, going out on the West Coast and losing to, uh, to UCLA? Maybe we're not, but I feel like, LSU is probably going to have something to say about that uh, before it's all said and done in regards to, uh, to that, that week one loss. I mean, I, now, if, if you're an LSU fan, I, I get it. 
half because, well, number one, all those things we say about Coach Ogeron, he kind of lived up to the billing. Walking in, threatening fans, saying, what's up? Come down here and say it in my face with your ugly blue shirt on. Did your team go out there and lay an egg? Um, Maybe Chip Kelly is Ed Ogeron at this point. You haven't lived up to the contract since you got to UCLA. LSU better get it together. They better get it together fast because everybody was so high on Mr. Mac Johnson. But I, but, I, but, I, but I just think that what happens is in these situations, Kevin, <clears throat> it depends on the brand and it depends on what the brand is representing. LSU is a big brand. LSU understands that no matter what we do, big or small, it is going to be, it is going to be elevated no matter what it is. Coach Ogeron is polarizing. Why? Because he want to fight. Maybe he get mad because you want nobody to let him fight because, well, you can't fight no more, Coach O. But <laughs> it's week one, Kevin. It happens, right? Like I said, I was on Twitter when Georgia Tech lost. And for those that think Georgia Tech fans don't care about Georgia Tech, you better guess again, they were losing it. So college football just means, and I'm not, and I'm not advocating for the SEC when I say this, but it does mean more to the fans than we really know. And we kind of saw, and Kevin, once again, we're going to be doing this in week two because unfortunately for us, we can't separate. We can't separate perception from reality. The reality, of, the reality of college football is we have nothing to do with it. But the perception is we think we have all to do with it. It, it. It's on us. It's how how we cheer, how we criticize, how we get feedback. So it's week one. I love it. It's like week one in college football is like the Braves opening opening day game. If they lose, BJ going to overreact <laughs> because all the games count the same. But when they win, he's optimistic. So I love it. I love it, Kevin. We are already in mid-season, mid-season form, and it's already week one. Could you imagine how it's going to be come week nine, week ten? We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Drew Chronic, Mercer head football coach, going to join us when we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are joined by the head football coach of the Mercer Bears, Drew Chronic, who joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome. Uh, college football is back. It's got to be a good feeling for you and uh, your team to have uh, uh, at least a week under your belt already. It does. It kind of feels cool to play football in the fall. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, had a, we, we played eight games in the spring. We played three in the fall last year, but uh, it just kind of feels good to be, you know, have some normalcy and, and, and play it in the fall. And, and uh, we're still battling COVID, you know, there's still that out there. Um, but, uh, it does feel pretty cool to be, have an August camp and, a and have a game and, and all that. So we're excited. Coach, to those, to those freshmen that came in last year that really don't know what it's like to have a fall camp, they kind of came in and kind of had to learn the ropes. How much have you learned about those guys understanding that, look, we understand that that pandemic was different for everybody, but how much different for them, for them is it coming into a fall camp, having a full spring and obviously getting ready for those guys in Tuscaloosa? <laughs> well, you covered a lot of ground right there with that question. Um, you know, la- I mean, we had a lot of, honestly, w- when you play eight games and nobody loses eligibility, you know, we had a bunch of freshmen last year play a ton uh, and play well. Um, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, w- new staff coming in, um, you know, I was hired in December of 19. We're trying to establish our culture. You know, we're here to get it to get it right. You know, our job is coming here and, and figure out, you know, how to win. And, uh, you know, so we COVID hit after three days of spring. And so uh, we, we had to send the guys home. We got back in the fall, played three games, 
you know, trying to catch back up a little bit. Um, and then in the spring, we got better. You know, we, we had a successful spring and uh, had a winning season in the spring. Um, and a lot of kids that play were young guys, man, um, you know. And, and uh, so to get in here now and you're trying to see how does that affect what you do in the fall when they just played eight games in the spring, is that does it change anything about what you do, you know, in that in that August camp, not having as much time in between seasons? And honestly, we worked the, we worked them hard in the off season this summer. We had a good eight week cycle with them, um, and we practiced. I mean, we came out here and practiced in August, and uh, there were a few more NCAA rules this year as far as you had to have a certain number of helmet only. You know, there was a few extra there, um, but we practiced, and um, so I, I'm gonna be honest, we haven't. We haven't changed a lot. The kids have come in and practiced hard and, um, you know, got a game under our belt. And, you know, it's still hot down here in Macon, Georgia. So, you know, we battle that on a daily basis. Um, but uh, uh, but we really hadn't changed. You know, if anything, it's been better because we've had a chance to be harder on them. You know, last year, especially in the spring, you always know how it goes in the spring. You're thin in the spring anyway when you're having spring practice. So when you're trying to play eight-game season. So we had to be a little more careful in the spring. We've kind of – maybe gotten away from that a little bit and got back to normal as well from a practice standpoint. So uh, kids have done a good job. And, again, you opened up with a 69-point uh, victory uh, in, in game number one. I would imagine to come out and finally play the uh, the opener, that's how you want to start. Obviously, uh, 69 to nothing offensively, defensively. Uh, did you have a whole lot of critiques after that ball game for you? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're always – you know, our whole goal is to worry about us, okay, and – Let's don't worry about so much who we're playing, but let's go be the best we can be. So there were so many things. You should get so much better between your first game and your second game. Now, it may not appear that way, you know, because of the of the wide range, the spectrum of what we play, you know, who we're playing against the first weekend and obviously what we're getting ready to play this weekend. But you're trying to find ways to improve and go be play at the highest level your team is is capable of playing at. Um, you know, so uh, we did some good things last week. It was good to play a game, good to get, you know, play against somebody in opposite color jersey um, instead of each other. Um, but uh, we're going to be tested in a way this weekend, um, you know, where any little mistake just gets magnified. So that'll be good for us. That'll be good for us to improve on. And, Coach, I, I read something that said, that said you said uh, the glue is starting to dry when it comes to these players. What, what exactly did you mean by that? I'm a big believer in culture winning, okay, and the way you do things on a daily basis. And uh, I've been at the small college level, you know, as a head coach for the most part, and and uh, we've we've had success because we've been hard on kids, we've held them accountable, but our players know that we love them, okay. I, I treat we, we want to treat our players, and I try to hire people in my staff that listen. I want you to treat them like you would your own child. I'm hard on my. I got three boys. I'm hard on, but they know I love them. You know, and, and when you get in here and kids know you love them and you care about them, you're trying to put them in good situations, they go play hard for you. And then they learn to love each other. And that's what's really important in our culture. You'll probably see behind me what our three, you know, our three core values are in our program is love, compete, and believe. We want to we understand how to love each other, and that's modeled by our coaches. I love my coaches. Love my coaching staff. doesn't mean we agree all the time, but I love coming to work every day. And we're a family deal. I want wife and kids running around the offices. I want our players to see that. But I also want a bunch of kids who are going to compete their tail off. Now, I don't care if it's 2 a.m. in the parking lot. I want a bunch of kids who want to go out and, and play somebody better than them and figure out a way to, to get it done and not run from challenges. And 
Um, and then, you know, believe for me is I've seen it in, in several instances where we took over a Division two program at Lenore Ryan a couple years ago that had been three and seven and three and eight. And we went we won 12 games the first year, the same kids, but they just started believing in each other and believing in what we were doing. And that's when we talk about culture, those are the things we're talking about. Now, we obviously need talent. We need to recruit talent to come in here to help us be successful. But a bunch of kids that love each other and compete their tail off and believe in what we're doing those kids are that team is going to be the best it can be and so we're learning those things i saw that in the spring you know early in the spring we didn't believe in ourselves and i told our kids early on look i'm gonna tell you that you can be good until you believe me all right until you until you start really believing me um and we won games in the fourth quarter and we got better and you know you could see those things happening which was a, a blessing and a privilege to be a part of so i like our players the right ones have left okay there's been Few that have found an exit ramp. Sometimes you have a little addition by subtraction. And the ones that have stayed with us have bought into what we're doing, and we've been able to sign some kids that, that believe what we believe. Um, so that's what I mean. That culture, you know, we're not there yet, okay, but that glue's starting to dry, and, and uh, we're, we're starting to really understand those concepts. And that's really a blessing as a coach to see kids start to figure that out. I like our players. I like our football team. Drew Chronic joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Coach, we're up and down the coast of uh, Georgia. You guys have recruited this area very well. Speak to – I mean, going through your roster, they're all over the place. Uh, speak to the guys that uh, you have on your team that are from up and down the coast, southeast Georgia, that are really making a, a big impact for you guys. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to recruit the state of Georgia pretty hard. I really believe that the state of Georgia is one of the finest high school football states, you know, in the country. And we're right smack dab in the middle of the state of Georgia. And – and honestly, uh, you know, my, my father was a high school coach in Georgia for over 30 years. So this is how I grew up. I'm back in my home state and excited about that. And um, But we're going to hit Florida. Okay, we're going to hit Florida. There's a lot of great athletes down there. And, um, you know, we're going to get into Alabama some. We're going to get into South Carolina and North Carolina and Tennessee and really try to hit the southeast. Now, this is a high academic school, you know, so you, you've got to uh, you got to find the kids that, that can be successful academically here. You know, so you – that eliminates some guys, um, you know, so you, you can't just have a small area. you got to spread out a little bit. But, uh, you know, I look up and down our roster, and and I don't know about – I mean, trying to name specific kids. But, yeah, they're, they're a bunch of Georgia kids, but there's also some kids from, from Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, we've been able to, to, to really hit those areas. Um, it's been unusual recruiting, as it has been for everybody, just because, man, we were in a dead period almost the entire time since I took over the program, the last time I've been in a high school, okay, was January of 20. Okay, that's been a year and a half. And we had the pandemic, we had the dead period, and so it was really nice in June to finally have kids be able to come on our campus. <laughs> you know, we had had our camps, and, and uh, it's a whole lot easier to recruit when somebody can come look at it and touch it and feel it a little bit and see what you're really all about, look you in the eye and shake your hand. Um, you know, so that's been good this summer. So it'll be a real blessing this fall as we, you know, we get our, our opportunities to get our evaluations and get out on the road. It'll be nice to get into high schools again and continue to build those relationships and, and, and see people face to face. So we're looking forward to that this fall, obviously. Coach, you said earlier, uh, you want to uh, play somebody that's better than you and find a way to get it done. Well, I mean, Alabama's about as, Alabama's about as good as it's going to be as far as like a barometer, but Talk about that, not just playing them, but I know you guys are a, a total different team at home than you are away. Just 
how much do you learn from playing against a team like Alabama and how much is just competing well on the road is going to be big for you guys this year? I think that's a, I think that's a, you make a great point. You know, we, we played very well at home in the spring. We're undefeated in the spring and um, we've got, for whatever reason, we got to learn to focus better. Okay. On the road. And, and we're going to, you know, we, we're, we're always looking for ways to try to make the road trip as much like, you know, home as possible. We can focus and, you know, but I've had teams that won better on the road. It, some of it's just the makeup of your team and just learning how to do those things. And um, but now, when you obviously when you go play Alabama, okay, that's that's the best college football team in the country. That's just, I mean, that's a fact. Um, and so, every mistake you make gets amplified so much, um, you know, because you can do all the right things and. You know, they just got a dude, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that's going to be playing on Sunday, you know, and, and uh, he's going to whip you. Um, but still believing that taking the right step and shooting your hands in the right place and, and, and being in the right gap and running the right depth around using your fundamentals gives us the best opportunity to have some success this Saturday. You know, so you're either going to do that or you're going to get beat up bad. Um, so we have to do that, and this I think this is a great opportunity for us to go learn um, and get something on film where when we come back here we go, look, you did a good job on this, and you held your own. Okay, hey, you didn't do you didn't use the fundamental on this one, and look what happens to you against great competition because we want to we want to win a national championship at the FCS level. That that's 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 our goal here, and so we're going to play against some really good players at this level. You know, and it might not be eleven of them like Alabama have. Okay, at the same time, but there's going to be a couple out there, you know, when you play teams in the playoffs and all that. And if you don't use good fundamentals, you don't compete the right way and you don't believe in what you're doing, uh, you're not going to have success. So this is a great opportunity for us to go play against really, really great players and and compete and try to win some battles. And let's get let's gain four here. Let's get a first down. Let's get down in the red zone, find a way to punch it in, you know, and and uh, defensively. Let's let's get off the field. Let's use let's get off the field. Some on third down. Okay, put them in. Put them in some. You know, get a lost yardage play. Do the fundamentals right, and you'd be surprised what you can accomplish when you do things the right way. Drew Chronic joining us here, head football coach at Mercer. You mentioned Alabama. What's been kind of the uh, the tenor of your team, uh, kind of this week? I know when teams say, "Oh, we're playing Alabama," get fired up. Obviously, it's a step up for you guys. Is it still kind of that same atmosphere amongst your team? Like, hey, we get a chance to go uh, show what we can do against Alabama. Yeah, our kids are excited. Okay, it's an opportunity to show that you belong on that field. Um, you know, that it's an opportunity to play in front of 100,000 people. Um, what a great opportunity that we have. And our kids understand that. And I, I believe our kids will go play their daggum guts out. Um, I really do. And uh, if you'll do that, you never know. I mean, you just go play, man. Just go play and uh, play as hard as you can with a great attitude and play for each other. Um, and do the little things right and give yourself the best chance to be successful. And I think our kids are excited about that, and I believe they'll do that. Drew, Coach, obviously you have uh, – oh, I was just going to say uh, what we got here, Kevin. I mean, uh, you know, Coach, you come from a coaching family doing what you do. What have you learned about yourself in this pandemic? Obviously, you know, you coaches, y'all love football in a different way than players do. But what what has uh, Coach Chronic learned about himself in this crazy time, uh, you know, uh, going through this pandemic? Uh, you know um, – We've had to be more creative, I think. You know, when, when, you, when, we, when the kids left after three days of spring practice, we had to find other ways, you know, to teach, to get on. I mean, we, and the Zoom meeting, man, became, 
became a, a really popular deal and how to get creative with that and still build leadership and have team devotions and um, try to build the relationships with your players. So I think there's some things that we learn, even in recruiting, you know, uh, from virtual visits and all those kind of things where you had to get more creative and you're still going to use some of those things that you picked up, you know, to, to continue to try to do a better job uh, recruiting and teaching, um, you know, and, and uh, but I think also hopefully for me personally, hopefully it helped me learn how to love kids better, um, you know, and, and uh, because it wasn't just the pandemic last year, there were so many things, the social issues, okay, um, and all the stuff these kids were dealing with, they, it was just raining down on top of them, you know, all this stuff. Um, and there's so many voices out there and it's confusing sometimes, especially when you're a young person about, you know, what do I need to be listening to? What voices, you know, are important for me? Who is, who is tearing me down and, but who, and who's being uplifting to me? You know, those are, that's hard when you're going through all that stuff. So, um, hopefully, and, and, and listen, I think I learned, you know, it helped me to be a better listener, hopefully, you know, and, and to listen to, especially with our African-American kids, you know, what, you know, some of the things that, that go on and you want to, you want to see those things change. You want to support people. You want everybody to have the same opportunities. You want everybody to be loved. You want everybody to feel protected. And, um, so hopefully, you know, it made me more sensitive as a, as a, as a mentor, uh, to a lot of the things these guys are dealing with, um, you know, and, and really try to, I, I want our players to know that I love them. Okay. And I think they do. And now I'm hard on them. Like I said, we're going to, but that's part of it, man. That's part of loving your loving your kids is holding them accountable, making sure they're doing the right things. And, um, you know, so uh, there was a lot of challenges to that. But in some ways, you could argue with our program, especially us being a you know, new staff, it it brought us closer together in some ways. Um, you know, so the kids fought the good fight through all that stuff. I mean, we, we didn't have a single kid. We played 11 games last year, three in the fall, eight in the spring. We didn't have a single kid miss a game due to COVID. That's the Lord blessing us right there. I mean, that is a miracle. Okay, it's a lot of people doing a great job, you know, and being conscientious about keeping themselves safe, but wouldn't have a sick. So that tells me you had buy-in, you know, that kids wanted to play ball. And listen, by the end of by the time you have two seasons in one year, <laughs> you're weary. Okay, you're mentally fatigued. Um, and I told our kids with about two games to go in the spring. Listen, guys, I know, I, I know that you're mentally fatigued. I kept counting down. Give me 16 more days. Give me 15 more days of everything you have. Because at some point, the work you put in right now, you're going to get blessed because you did it. Um, and our kids did that, and I, I'm very appreciative of that. So I'm very happy for them that we're in a little bit more normalcy, you know, where they can enjoy it a little bit more and um, and they can re reap the rewards of the work they put in last year the re and the guys that just stuck with it, which I'm so grateful for. Drew Cronick, head football coach at Mercer, uh, our guest here. Coach, really appreciate the time. Best of luck to you guys this weekend against, uh, against Alabama. But, again, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And you can catch Mercer and Alabama coming up this weekend on SEC Network. And we'll come back with more three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. We'll get to take three next hour. Also, look at the Atlanta Braves, who are really playing some good baseball uh, right now as they come down the home stretch of the season. We'll look at our Southern Power Pole. And more as also uh, been the National Football League gets underway on Thursday night. And uh, we can let, speaking of overreactions and the, uh, the gnashing of teeth, uh, we can let that get started uh, with uh, all the happenings in the NFL because we know NFL fans don't overreact. Uh, maybe not as bad as college football fans, but still 
a lot of overreaction in the first couple of weeks as to who's already out of the playoff picture after the first week. Kevin, I mean, you know, the thing the thing about it is, is right, is is, is this what we do though? Like, I mean, I, I know I know yesterday we were talking to Cam about, you know, making sure Cam know that you can't talk about your, your best team in a complimentary way, Cam, because if they lose, <laughs> they forget the game. It's because of what Cam said. So people are already eliminated because of week one. The teams aren't good, Kevin. The, the players don't care. They don't understand what's really going on, right? They don't, they just happen to be here. All they care about is NIL and getting <laughs> their money. It ain't about the league. No, it's week one. And we're the problem. When you, when you look in the mirror, the person that's staring back at you, we're the problem. You know why? Because if your team won, you complimentary. You know who was talking trash about my team at the week one? My mama. All I heard was, I didn't Emory Jones. I don't like him. I don't like him. I said, mama, we won. I don't care. So, Kevin, it ain't even good enough to win no more. You got to look good doing it. So, basically, people, we have a problem. We have been diagnosed with and loving college football, and unfortunately, NFL season is starting, so we get the double dip. But if your Saturday is bad and your Sunday is bad, I don't know what to tell you because your week is going to be ugly. <laughs> Certainly, uh, you got the Falcons, Jacks. We'll talk more about it coming up uh, in the the final hour of the program. But certainly, Atlanta will be in Jacksonville, the debut of two first-time NFL head coaches. Now, I know Urban was uh, head coach in college, but the first-time head coach. How much scrutiny do you place? On those guys, Ben, and really how much do you think there is to learn in the pro game versus the college game? Obviously, it's different. Guys are getting paid. Well, I mean, I guess now college technically guys are getting paid, but uh, yeah. guys are getting paid sometimes more than you. And what do you think Urban Meyer has to learn about being a head coach in the National Football League once these games actually start counting for real here? He has to learn, he has to learn, Kevin, that that the success he's had previously had is over with. That the game is going to dictate, like the the flow of the game is going to dictate play calling. And just because you might have, I don't know, a, an elite talent at the quarterback position down the road, he's still a rookie, and you're still a rookie. And sometimes the best play is no play at all. Throw the ball away. Don't try to get all creative because Urban Meyer has never had failure in his life for real. He's never really felt that. Big time programs. You know, winning national championships at Florida and Ohio State, and so I think for him, it's just understanding that losing is a part of winning in the game of, in the NFL. And I know it's rough because Trevor Lawrence, for the first time in his life, he is going to lose a regular season game. I know, I know, more people think you, Trevor Lawrence really think you can win them all because in the regular season he has. But I think with Urban, you know, you know, Kevin, it's things like Tim Tebow is a feel good story. You should have had him on your team. Chris Doyle is a friend of yours. You shouldn't have hired him. He is going to have to take that humble pie and accept the fact that people thought he would never coach again. Remember we said never coach again because of his health? No, Tim Tebow and them left. Went to Ohio State, didn't he? Nobody said a word. Then he left again. Now he's at now he's at Jacksonville. What the difference is, you ain't finna have the success you had those other places. You are starting from ground zero. You have a stadium that has pools in it. That's how bad <laughs> it is to root for Jacksonville. Hey man, come get in the pool. Okay, so. But I, I just think, Kevin, just as long as he can understand that everybody goes through growing pains and he want to have that Pete Carroll success. Pete Carroll was in the NFL, left, came back. I don't know. This might this might be Urban Meyer's first stint as a head coach. I don't know if he's going to remain there, but we'll see what happens. I mean, end of the day, we got about 20 seconds. Do you feel like – I don't know you can define this any way you want. Do you feel like Urban Meyer's going to stick in the National Football League? I, I do, Kevin. I, I – I think that this year he's going to learn a lot about himself. 
and he's going to know that it's not just about him. It's about the players and the coaches and the schemes. And once he can get past the, the ego of I'm Urban Meyer – and just settle in. I think he'll be a really, really good coach, but he's going he gonna to have to go through the brawl pain. Yeah, you're not taking over a great football team by any chance. There, <laughs> You won the, one game last year. Yeah, they, it was the first game. So maybe they come out and repeat that. Again, if you start 1-0, you could very well end up 1-16 when it's all said and done. We got take three around the corner. Talks talk some Braves baseball. Look at our Bud Light power pull as well. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hour two here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. We'll talk some Braves baseball. Braves uh, looked good last night. Bullpen let it get tied back up. Offense responds right away and takes it back. We'll also get to our Bud Light Southern Power Poll coming up in just a little bit here on the show as well. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, Ben, take one. How big of a year do you expect from James Robinson? Huge year. Um, James Robinson, obviously undrafted free agent that was got, got uh, voted by his peers to be a number 100 in the top 100 players. And the thing is, I think he's going to have a big year now because not not just because he wants to, but because he has to. When you got a rookie quarterback and he a guy that's going to make a lot of mistakes, the one thing that he can lean on is a solid run game. No Travis Etienne, which is going to hurt that offense. But you know, uh, James Robinson is a guy that understands what his role is. Kevin kind of, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying he's his player, but kind of remind me when Peyton Manning was a rookie. You know, he had old Marshall Falk next to. Him. Now, I'm not saying James Robinson is Marshall Falk because I know BJ is somewhere going, that is ridiculous if he just heard that statement. But you can rely on a steady player at the running back position that's not because he's not really there to run the ball more than he's there to pick up the pick up protections, protect you in the passing game. So, yeah, I think James Robinson is going to have a huge year. And for the betterment of the offense and the team, he better have a big year. And I, I, I agree with you, but probably more so because Travis Etienne is out and – Maybe Travis Etienne would have taken a few carries away, third downs, something like that. I think he's now going to be the primary focus, and they're not. Gonna, I think Ben, you you probably know this. Had Etienne stayed healthy, there were going to be some situations where they probably were going to force him the ball just to see what he could do, uh, and maybe take some carries away from from James Robinson. Now that he's gone. I think obviously James Robinson, the man in the running game, and I think he's going to have a huge year uh, because of it. All right, take two. Which first year SEC coach had the best? debut man wow i mean I, I, I mean i like what coach harson did you know i like what i like what coach hypo did but i'm gonna go with old beamer ball in south carolina for the reason that and the guy that's playing quarterback was a freaking coach Zeb nolan went from throwing football to the players you know as a coach to putting on a uniform and actually saying wait a minute dude you were the coach, right? Yeah, you were in the wrong meeting room. And obviously it was against, you know, uh, East, you know uh, East Illinois. It's not like, you know, uh, those are world beaters. But the circumstance, Kevin, because we didn't really know how was Beamer Ball going to look. But the fact that your best quarterback went from a grad assistant to a freaking starting quarterback, and he was efficient in the game, 13 to 22, 121 yards, four touchdowns. Like, he's not going to wow you in the box score. But to be able to have that level of, you know, accountability and responsibility and to go out there and win the game 46-0, I got to go old Beamer Ball. I don't want to say Beamer Ball is here to stay, Kevin, in the SEC. But for one weekend, it looked really, really good. So give me Shane Beamer in them game cops. Yeah, I thought uh, that was that's a good pick. I, I, I thought, you know, Josh Heupel at Tennessee wasn't bad. I was expecting with as fast as he wants to play, it yeah. could be a complete disaster, and it, it really kind of wasn't. I, I I was kind of thoroughly surprised. I know it's, again, 
a lot of these games that were picking the first year at coach, uh, they certainly got it easier than Sam Pittman got it last year. Some of those guys, but I mean, but uh, you know, I, I think that was better than I expected it to be. If I, I'll leave it at that. So I will say he had the best debut, you know, Clark Lee, obviously we're sorry, Vanderbilt, but if you can't be, if you get blasted by, I'm serious now, Ben, if you get blasted by ETSU, What's the hope that you're going to win a single game this year again? I mean, that's... It's going, it's going to be rough. And, 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 Kevin, they don't make excuses. We will not make excuses for being Vanderbilt. I don't know what that you, you better be start making some. Better start making some excuses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, that's a, that's an uphill climb. But, yeah, there's a lot of first-year head coaches, solid debuts uh, over the weekend. Moving along, take three. Is Austin Riley a legit... Uh, MVP candidate Ben there at third base. I know uh, a lot of folks have said, well, what about Freddie Freeman and, and maybe Ozzie Albies? Um, is Austin Riley, though, an MVP-type candidate? I'm trying to find uh, – you know, obviously, he has done a tremendous job I, of I, – I would say I would say yes, Kevin, for this reason. If you Do you understand what, type, what he has to do to even get noticed? Not even on his same team, in his same infield. You talking about Dan, you talking about Isaiah, you start about Freddie Free. The number one thing is, as a hitter is batting average. She's batting 303. Last time I checked, the best the best hitters in baseball, the best hitters around 275, 280, 290. He's at 303. Now, when he keep it up, I don't know. Then I go to home runs, got 29. Then I go to RBIs, he got 87. I think, I think, Kevin, I would say yes for Austin Riley because his pressure is coming from one being your everyday third baseman. But, dude, I don't want to let this team down. I got to, I got to stare over and look at Freddie Freeman every freaking day. And there go Isby and there go Dansby. So, I would say he is because you know you're a good player when they're not talking about you in a negative light. This time last year, it was, dude, he, he, he's not giving us good plate appearances. He can mash, but he strikes out a lot. To go from that to this – and he's in a crowded infield that everybody's good. You got and you got arguably Kevin the best infield in baseball. Take nothing away, you know, from different players. You got you 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 got the best first baseman in baseball. That is hands down in argument. That you Danby Swanson is doing something we've never seen for a shortstop in Braves history. Ozzy is Ozzy. And then they say, well, what is what is Austin Riley doing? Oh nothing, just 87 RBIs, 29 home runs, batting three What? Yes. So and he's getting it done defensively. So for me. I would say yes, and that's probably the greatest compliment he's gonna get because it's gonna be hard to win the MVP as long as you play with Freddie Free and when and when Ronnie Rolla Jr. and Rolla Cooley Jr. comes back. But Kevin, is there a greater compliment from a player who was just trying to be your everyday starter to now MVP consideration? That's got that's got to be that's got to be up there. And it's ama- and it's amazing, Ben, because you sit here and think about it. Last back in late April, early May, there were a lot of people saying. Is Austin Riley the third baseman of the future? Should they potentially trade Austin Riley and get something else? Should they go a different direction? He's struggling at the plate, strikes out a lot, can't hit the curveball, all that kind of stuff. And as you said, he's now gone to taking it hitting over 300. He's going to have over 100 RBI, which is tremendous. He's, I mean, if he doesn't get to 30 home runs, I don't know what's, why he wouldn't. So you're talking about over 300, 30 home runs, 100 RBI. That is, those are stud numbers. Uh, at the Major League Baseball uh, level. I think the problem he's going to run into, should he be an MVP consideration? Yes. problem he's going to run into is getting enough voting. Uh, obviously, with uh, some of the other guys that are having tremendous seasons, he obviously plays with Freddie Freeman. Ozzie Albies is having a great season. 
I think uh, when it comes to uh, to MVP, you you probably will split votes with your own teammate there at first base. But yeah, I, I think Austin Riley should be in the discussion. Will he win it? I don't think so. But the dude has put together a sensational season, especially considering that people were ready to write him off, much like Dansby Swanson. Uh, Dansby Swanson, we were like, man, can we do better? He has played tremendous defense, starting to hit the baseball. He's got career highs in home runs, more home runs than we've seen from Atlanta Braves shortstop uh, ever. And you really start to look at these pieces, Ben, and say, is this, We and I know I've asked this on the show a couple times, is this the best infield collectively that the Braves have, the Atlanta Braves have ever had? I, I, I think it's certainly putting itself there now where it's almost – you can't argue that. And that's, and I'm well aware that a guy named Chipper Jones played third base at Terry yes. Pendleton and Fred McGriff, and you've had some great players. But as a four-person collection of talent, you have not seen this too often where short, second, first, third, all slapping the ball around. All are pretty good defensively, if not gold glove level. Matter of fact, Freddie Freeman's got a gold glove. I think some of these might be uh, Dansby and some might be in the running to get one before their career is over. So all really getting it done defensively. All can hammer the baseball. I don't. I, I think if you're a Braves fan, you need to enjoy this collection right now because it's never been as good in the infield as what we're looking at right now. I, I mean, we've had some good players. Don't get me wrong. Yes. There's been some good players uh, there in, in Atlanta, but it's never been this good. From an offensive and defensive all-around standpoint, Give me a four that's been better. I don't think you're going to find a four that's been better uh, that that we've seen in the the history of the Atlanta Braves than what you're looking at right now. And and Kevin, that's saying something, right? Because once again, when you you talk about the Braves, you were talking about some some historically great players. No one, like you said, no one is saying that Austin Riley is chipper. Nobody's chipper. Like, nobody is in the history, definitely in Braves history. But Freddie Freeman, I mean, what he's doing, it's something you said about you know, people talk about the impact of Freddie Freeman. Dude, if I got to play with this dude every day, there isn't a day that goes by that Austin Riley and isn't asked about Freddie Freeman. But that's another reason why Austin is not going to win it. Look at how long Freddie Freeman had to be good to finally win it. He was good a long consistency is, 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 is what's going to be on hopefully Dansby, I mean, uh, uh, Austin uh, Riley's side. But Kevin, have you ever seen this big of a jump? Because like you mentioned, I mean, Austin Riley has, it's never been about you hitting for power. It's about plate appearances. To go from that to this with, a, with such a crowded infield, it would be different if he was doing it by himself. Dude, I'm trying to meet, meet the production of Dansby. I mean, and I see, and Freddie free every night, and he's really, really good defensively. I'm just saying, I just think that I give it to him. Allison Thomas, man, he knows what he's doing. Because a lot of times you hear, this is the next great one, this is the next great one. Where's Christian Pache? Haven't even talked about Christian Pache. The biggest thing he did is pick Andrew Jones' number. And Austin Riley is saying, look, I'm just going to, I'm not going to make no waves. I'm not going to make no excuses. But 87 RBIs, 29 homers, and 303. Man, that's, man, that's top, that's tops in the league type numbers. And he's one of four in an infield. So, Shout out to that man, and he's what, 23, 24? That's oh, yeah. great. Still got a lot of upside uh, for him there at third base. Been fun to watch. That's take three. We do it each and every day here at this time. We'll come back. We'll keep talking, Braves, as uh, they had a, a good win last night in the middle of a stretch here where they need to take advantage and try to open up that lead. We'll break that down as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, 
Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll look at our Bud Light Southern Power Poll coming up here in just a little bit. But, uh, Ben, we were talking Braves there. Braves uh, got up early last night on the Nationals. Uh, Matzik let it go uh, late in the ball game, but right there, bottom of the eighth, Ozzie Albies comes back, uh, hits the, the, the game winner, uh, right-handed, another homer there. Offense rules. Braves get to see their lead pushed up to two and a half. Uh, in the uh, the National League East, so uh, really a, a good thing there for uh, the Atlanta Braves. And again, after a tough West Coast road trip, uh, good to get back on the right foot uh, there against the Washington Nationals. As we said, Nationals and Marlins, not good teams, really got to capitalize in here over the next uh, handful of days. I mean, Kevin, the de- listen, that bullpen deficit, they still find a way to make it interesting, right? But I mean, the bats are just so good that even 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 the bullpen can't you know can't spoil it. But I. I give this Braves team a lot of credit. I mean, staying power is something to say, Kevin, because it took it took what you go from win loss, win loss, win loss to finding a way to stay, you know, to stay in it, to finally get the lead and to see how competitive this thing has got. It's crazy. I, I, I always come back to the fact that with all the games that's played in baseball, it still comes down to what the last two weeks of the season, or and I don't because people think, man, yes, you would love to be, you know. Uh, what with the Padres? I mean, I, I mean, I th- no, not the, the the Giants. I mean, th- their lead is ridiculous right now. So I I just, I just think that for this Braves team, Kevin, just keep staying the course. Uh, you know, don't do too much. That bullpen is what it is. It's very very hot and cold. Some nights it looks good, some nights it doesn't. But the Braves understand what the what the task at hand is. They understand those pesky Phillies. They're right there. They're not going nowhere. But putting distance between them and you and making them try to chase you down by the end of the season is probably going to be the recipe for success. If you remember way back in the uh, beginning of the year, uh, Ben BJ was uh, sitting there telling us, "Look, every game it matters. It counts the same, and this and that. And you don't want to look back. I get it. But here we are. It's September. Now every game matters." from here on out what you do and I've I've said that a bunch like it's all about putting yourself in position to win I I know they they count the same but it's no different than football you play the first 10 weeks to put yourself in a position for the last six now seven weeks of the uh, the season so that the last six games really matter Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about with baseball the calendar turns to September you want those final 28 29 games or so to really mean the difference in being in the playoffs maybe maybe being a wild card, not being in it, uh, because I think it's been proven the team usually that's playing the hottest baseball in September really carries that into the postseason. You don't see a lot of teams who got a big lead and it's like, hey, we won six of our last 12 ball games or, 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 or six of our last 15 ball games, and here we are ready for the postseason, go in and just start playing on a different level. You really like to get that momentum coming down the stretch, and I think if you're Atlanta, that's what you use some of these series for. I uh, like the Nationals, like the, the Miami Marlins, really play good baseball. So when you go play the Padres, and I think you have to go play uh, the Giants, you, you can use some of that momentum, and it's not the end-all, be-all potentially for you getting in the playoffs. So some big series coming up. I don't want to downplay it, but the, you have to take care of the winnable series when you have them in front of you. And, Kevin, I mean, something I want to ask you, I mean, how, how who, who do you give the most credit to? Snit? Because obviously, you know, uh, Snit has to, you know, he has to, you know, put together these lineups, you know, day in and day out. Or is it Anthopolis and what he was able to add at the trade deadline? Because this is how you know the Braves are good. Mike Soroka has not played. Marcelo Zuna, I mean, he didn't play enough to have an impact on the team. And Ronald Cooney Jr. is not back till next year. And the Braves are two and a half games up. That's got to say something to either what's, what Alex Anthopoulos did, what Snit does, or maybe it's a, it's a mixture of both because we don't even talk about Acuna 
and, and I mean that in a respectful way, yeah. by the way. We don't even talk about him, and they're still more than on schedule right now. Yeah, I, I, I think it's probably a mixture of both of those guys, quite frankly, because I, I, I think there's plenty of blame to go around when it comes to Brian Snicker for sometimes how he's managed this team, and I think certainly uh, going through stretches where he's run Will Smith out there in the ninth inning and things of that nature, there's plenty of blame there. I think Alex Anthopoulos deserves some of the credit because, or a good portion of it, because at the trade deadline he went out and made moves, made moves that didn't cost you a lot organizationally in terms of uh, future potential prospects, dollar amounts, uh, what have you. You made moves, and there is no question. You can't say otherwise because of what the team was doing. This team is better since those moves happened than they were beforehand. So you went out and you made the team better, and they have been significantly better. Uh, so they won, what, 12 in a row, uh, something like that, uh, or, or 17 out of 19 uh, in, in that stretch there. They've been significantly better since the trade deadline. So I give Alex Anthopoulos a lot of credit to say, look, we can make this team better, and we don't have to go out and be the New York Yankees and steal a $25, $30 million guy. We can go out, make an appropriate move, shore up the, uh, the, the outfield, knowing, knowing that Ronald Acuna is coming back next year. Knowing that you're, I mean, with what they've already done, this team looks be very good next year. You re-signed Charlie Borton to an, uh, a little bit of extension. Everybody in the infield not named Freddie Freeman is already under contract. Uh, you, you got Travis Darnot coming back. You have Jorge Soler potentially, Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson. Uh, you know Ronald Acuna is coming back. I mean, this team looks to be very, very good. Uh, going into uh, 2022. I'm interested to see how they finish strong. But if I had to lean one way or another, I would say more credit goes to Alex Anthopoulos for putting the right pieces in there uh, to kind of jumpstart this team. And Brian Snicker for weathering the storm. Because, again, he's kind of been uh, been the the doubter uh, from the fan base, right? I mean, he's steadfast in his message. But the fan base, man, anytime something goes wrong, you know, Brian Snicker doesn't know what he's doing. He's just stuck in his ways. And, again, I fall into that. I'm not going to lie. I've come on the show and said, look, I don't – Necessarily like 100% of the, the, the way he goes about it, uh, night in and night out. But all that aside, as an old kind of little axiom goes, you can't argue with results. And the results uh, of Brian Snicker being at the head of the, uh, of the pack are postseason, or NL East champs, NL East champs, NL East champs, and obviously they were with a, a few outs of making the World Series last year. So they've gotten that off of their back in terms of can't win in the postseason, advancing, advancing to the NLCS, uh, you can't argue with results. That's the ultimate right back at you. Whenever you truly want to say fans are giving me a hard time, hey, Brian Snicker doesn't want, know what he's doing, he's, the, he doesn't manage the game the right way, well, you can't argue with the results. And the results are this team wins. This team has won the division every year he's been the manager, and Alex Anthopoulos has provided him with pieces even when things look dire to make the team better. The end. I, and there's really not much more... Uh, at the end of the day, you can you can bring it down to than that is say what you want. We don't have to like everything about how it goes down as an organization, but the bottom line is it's kind of like the kind of like the Pittsburgh Steelers, where like everybody likes to say why aren't the Steelers doing this or that, and there's Mike Tomlin just cruising right along, doing what he's doing, hardly ever misses the playoffs. It's like there's a lot of teams that would love to be the Pittsburgh Steelers and always be in the playoffs and gripe and complain that they haven't won a Super Bowl in X number of years. Uh, I kind of see that with the Atlanta Braves right now. They have gotten to a level of consistency where you're complaining when it's not excellence, you know, 100% of the time. 
So Kevin, I guess I guess I just only leave one thing that breaking news. When <laughs> do does uh when when does uh when do they get Freddie Free's new deal? Is it during this season or do they get it done in the offseason because of how big it's probably gonna be? Look, I I, I think that's the thing. Uh I, I you sit back, you say the Braves are disrespecting Freddie. And and I hate that phrase. Uh Ben, as an athlete, maybe you can lean more into it and say, no, there is a level of disrespect at times. I just hate that phrase, like we're disrespecting. They haven't done anything. Like they gave you a contract. You are playing on that contract. That contract is not up. They're not letting you dangle. They're, they're not, they haven't done anything. I think if you want to take a 100-foot you know, view of this thing, the signs that they're going to re-sign Freddie Freeman, to me, are actually encouraging. Well, why you say that, Kevin? Uh, Travis Darno has been locked up. Charlie Morton has been locked up. You've got a young pitching staff around him. You've got... Uh, Ozzie Albies, Dansby Swanson, who's up for arbitration. They'll probably settle with him. And you've got Austin Riley, who's playing at a high level at third base. You know you're going to have Ronald Acuna back, locked in long-term. You've brought in pieces via trades that are still good to come back next year. Everything around this team screams. You go to Freddie Freeman and go, dude, look at the team we have. Do you want to be a part of this or do you want to go somewhere else? We're going to offer you a good deal. You want to be here. We want you to be here. Look what we've put together for you in terms of a supporting cast. I actually am encouraged that it's going to get done. I'm, I'm not even remotely sweating. And if it doesn't happen, I'll, I'll eat my words on this. But I'm not even remotely sweating that at some point they're going to re-sign Freddie Freeman and give him a nice contract. They're doing too many other moves to bolster what Freddie Freeman would want to come back. Hey, Young guys all around you that are very good. They're locked in. We've secured them. Now let's get down to your demands and what you want. We've got the team to help you out. You've seen it. They're all coming back. What do you want to stay here? And I think they'll be more than willing to make that happen. And, and again, maybe it happens at the end of the season. And right now they're focused on getting in the postseason and making a run. But I, I, I feel like it's going to get done. And if you're a Braves fan, I, I think a lot of the moves that have happened are uh, in and around just the trades uh, are with guys that are going to stay and be a part of the team. That would be very enticing to me to pitch to, Pre to Freddie Freeman on why you should come back and, and be a Brave and why we feel like we're going to do right by you because I think a lot of the moves they put in place are for it. Look, it's not just this year, Freddie. We did these moves so that next year, year after that, obviously you're still in your prime. We can be contenders in a big way to go win a World Series. No, you're right. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you said. I think sometimes, too, when you look at a guy like Freddie Freeman, you don't realize, I ain't even look at it that way. Like, look at all we're doing around you, Freddie. We're going to give you your money. I, we're going to do that. But there is nothing. Listen, everybody talks about, I want my money. Yeah, but they tell him Freddie Freeman, you can be my trout. We can give you that. You can go somewhere and get a lot of money and never make the playoffs again. Or we, we're going to give you a, it's not going to be a team-friendly deal. We're going to give you your money. But you also want to, you've also, went, you've been here in the dark ages. Now you've seen, you know, us like, you know, taking off. And with, with a healthy Ron Lacuna, with, 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 with a healthy Mike Soroka, with what this team brings back, Austin Riley and Danzy Swan, oh my, this team, I mean, I don't know if a team is ever going to be constructed better than the Dodgers, Kevin, but good enough to beat them, 
you got to feel good about your chances moving forward. I, I agree. They're going to get Freddie Freeman's money. I just think that, you know, we got to, we got to, you know, just like the first week of college football, we got to make up a problem where there isn't one. Freddie <laughs> Free will be a lifer, I believe, as a brave. You're not a fan if you're not getting nervous, right? Uh, is that, uh, I guess that's kind of what the, the saying should be. We've got more to come. We're switching back. We're talking college football. Looking at the Southern Power Poll after a long here, three and out on this. Wednesday afternoon. Glad you're making us a part of your day each week. SouthernPigskin.com. We got the Southern Power Poll presented by Bud Light this week. Uh, ben, no, uh, no question. As it's put together, kind of a conglomerate of votes averaged in to come up with one Southern Power Poll from the ACC, SEC, and Sun Belt. Alabama one, Georgia two. Uh, after uh, their first weekend, Clemson in the poll only goes to number three. So had a big loss to uh, to Georgia. Uh, slides down to number three, Texas A&M number four, and Ole Miss up at number five ahead of Florida. So you can check out the full Southern Power Pool there at southernpigskin.com, but I think obviously this is a reflection of a lot of folks, Georgia and Alabama, number one, number two. Clemson, I think the question is how far do you have them sliding down after that loss to Georgia? Yeah, I mean, I, I think three. I think three is a solid. I mean, uh, really, really solid. Nobody's going to be over Alabama, right? It, it was always going to be who's going to be number two or number three. Well, number two just having to play number what? Number four, number five, and they just switched places. But Georgia's defense was incredible. So, matter, so was Clemson's defense. I mean, and let's and let's face it, uh, Clemson blinked once, and that that cost them. That cost them the game when, you, when it was a 10-3 game. The fact that neither one of these offenses scored. And off with the touchdown is crazy to me. But, yeah, Clemson is still – they're going to beat most teams on this list, not named Georgia, not named Alabama, what else. Those just happen to be the two teams at number one and number two. Ole Miss, what people forget about the Ole Miss game, Kevin, outside of the freaking target. And Lane Kiffin wasn't even there. He was, you know, got COVID-19, so he wasn't even there. Couldn't even tell. You know, I mean, no Lane Kiffin, no problem. I mean, you know, you know, Florida is always going to come down to, you know, uh, Emory Jones, who is he really? A&M, I like Haynes King, but – Haynes King has a problem with throwing the ball to the other team, too. And their coach has already been writing a lot of checks. I mean, Kevin, in the offseason, I mean, Jimbo talking trash to Alabama in the offseason. That's not a recipe for success moving forward, for those of you who don't know. But NC State, I mean, NC State coming in at number seven. Kevin, NC State is always going to be that curious case, right? Like, they look good, but we just don't know. We'll never know how good or bad NC State is, but for one weekend, they look really, really impressive. Yeah, and I, I think if I look at the, the poll, and I think the biggest overreaction would be Ole Miss at number five. Uh, again, I think we knew they were going to have a good offensive team. They do. Uh, they beat Louisville. Okay. I think Louisville was projected to finish, what, sixth or seventh in the ACC Atlantic by a lot of folks down near the bottom. And they had a convincing victory. I, again, does that mean they're all of a sudden one of the best teams uh, in in the Southern Conferences? I don't think so. I I, I, I would put, you know, Florida ahead of them. I, I, even though Florida didn't have as impressive a victory, I, I think that's – we've kind of had the, the conversation years past about philosophies of polls and do you have, uh, you know, more fluctuation uh, early in the season. Look, I, I think you give team people credit for, for beating folks. Uh, you know, the way it worked out with the math, Virginia Tech finished behind North Carolina. Look, week one – they came out and beat them. They, you you got to put them ahead of them. Uh, I, I think that's a head-to-head matchup right in week one. What better gauge are you going to get than that? That's like saying Georgia beat Clemson, but you're going to still vote Clemson ahead of Georgia because, well, they're a better team, and when they play again, it'll be – well, no. They got beat head-to-head, square up. Now, does that mean they can never pass them later in the season? No, but after week one, I don't think you should have a team that just got – you just got beat by 
behind you in the polls uh, when, when you do something like that. So that's a couple of things that stand out to me. I think Auburn, uh, by a lot of folks, I've said this all week, a little bit of an overreaction uh, to them beating Akron. Uh, did they look good? Yeah, I would hope they would look pretty good. Uh, you know, even the teams that, quote, struggled uh, with, like, Florida and, uh, you know, Texas A&M in terms of everybody thought it was going to be 47-3 to and it was going to be a cakewalk. Look, they still won. I, I, I think Auburn, to me, has been one of those – now I'm hearing it more with Ole Miss, but Auburn, to me, one of those teams that people really are reading a lot more into than they should. Brian Harson's a good coach. Mike Bobo's a good offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, obviously, they've got great defensive coaches uh, as well. But it's one game against a team that was really, really bad. Uh, and, again, they should look good in those games. I'm more interested in evaluating Auburn when it gets farther into the season. They start playing some SEC West teams, uh, start getting into SEC East play, and maybe they win, but maybe we see a different Auburn team uh, that doesn't look like they did you know, a knife going through butter against Akron. I don't know how much we learn about certain teams uh, in games like that in week number one. Usually if we learn anything, Ben, it's bad. Uh, you know, a la yeah. Georgia Tech losing to Northern Illinois or Vanderbilt getting shut out by – or not shut out, but shut down by East Tennessee State. We learned the bad stuff. I don't know if you're learning a lot of good things about teams beating teams they're supposed to beat. Now, obviously, Florida beat – a team they were supposed to beat should it have been more. Who's to say? They still won the ball game in a story. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I think largely in week one, you find out more what's wrong with teams than you do how good are they really. Yeah, I mean, we people think uh, people think that uh, you know uh, running those scores up look good for you, right? But then you start saying to yourself, okay, not how good are you? How bad is the team you're playing? Like ETSU proved that Vanderbilt last year was not a fluke. They got beat. <laughs> like ETSU beat. Vanderbilt, like we're gonna beat y'all, like, and and that's more of a mentality thing. I, I think the most disappointing on this list is LSU now, but you got to put that into context too. LSU, Baton Rouge, you know, Louisiana dealing with a lot. They had to leave the state. I mean, had, had to deal with a lot when you dealing with friends and family, loved ones dealing with that hur- hurricane, I did things of that nature. But on the field, they got dominated. I do agree with something you said, though, Kevin. Why is Virginia Tech behind UNC? And I, I wish that BJ was on the show to say, listen, guys, I understand. No, you know, no, no. They played each other, and, they, and, and Virginia Tech won. I don't like this if they were to play again. Well, they won't. Because when they did, Virginia Tech won. And I don't know what – and I think sometimes – I think South Carolina should have been on this list. I think Tennessee could have easily been on this list. It's week one. Still giving LSU the benefit of doubt because you're talking about their mental capacity, that's doing too much. They lost. We understand everything that went into it, but they got dominated. And I think sometimes, Kevin, that's how this list is construed up. Hey, man, listen, on a neutral site, don't care. They lost. I don't want to hear all that neutral site stuff, these, these perceptions of what could happen. But I do agree with what you said about Auburn. 60 to 0 means the Akron is really, really bad, and we don't know about all. Like, we we really, really don't know. I mean, Akron was really looking forward to playing Auburn until, well, they kicked the ball <laughs> off. And well, you, you, you kind of see the end result. But Kentucky could have been on this list. South Carolina could have been on this. Tennessee could have been on this list, you know, because you had some really, really good play. But for one week, we are already showing our biases. You, North Carolina could have easily been off this list, and Virginia Tech should be above North Carolina. LSU still made it. LSU was above Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech won. So that just shows you a lot of biases when it comes to this list. But it is week one, Kevin. This thing going to look the – one, the one constant is going to be this. Alabama is going to remain at number one, hopefully, after week three, 
they might go down. Probably not going to happen, <laughs> but you know, I'm a little biased. We could we'll all, uh, you you can always hope and wish. I guess no, but look, I I, I think it's certainly uh, when you look at the polls, and again, I'm just one of several people that vote in this thing. I don't know how everybody else votes. I don't consult everybody else and see how they voted, but I just look at it and say in week one, at the very least, the only thing you have to go off of is head to head with if, if some of those is like Virginia Tech should be better than North Carolina. They just played. It's the only game either team has played. They just played. And they beat them. Uh, Georgia beat Clemson. They're ahead of them on this list, as they should be. Now, how far do you slide them down? That's another story. I think nationally, uh, we had a discussion, Ben, of, you know, is Clemson even going to make the playoffs now with their, uh, their loss now week one, their schedule pretty weak? And I said, well, listen, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And people say, well, the ACC looked bad. Well, that's right. The ACC did look bad. Who's to say, though, Virginia Tech doesn't end up Going to the ACC championship game potentially as a one-loss team or two-loss. You don't know uh, how it's and that looks different. Uh, does North Carolina rebound? Do we look back? Is North Carolina only a one or a two-loss team? And you look back and go, hey, maybe that loss to Virginia Tech on the road, mind you, wasn't that bad after all. Uh, now, is there some inexcusable stuff? Yeah, sure. Georgia Tech, Duke, that's inexcusable. I think Miami losing to Alabama. I mean, raise your hand if you thought Miami was going to win that game and you don't live in Miami. Or, did, I, or didn't go to Miami. Right, I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I, I think that's one of those where you think, oh, boy, the ace. Now, did you expect Miami to get beat as badly? But guess what? Alabama says there's a lot of people that say that on Sunday morning. Man, I didn't think Alabama was going to beat them that bad. Uh, it happens a lot. I didn't think Alabama was going to beat Texas A&M like that. Well, they did. So I, I look at it and say, could the ACC look a little bit different Who's to say what Florida State looks like in a couple of weeks uh, as well when, uh, you know, if they have that kind of effort they had against Notre Dame, maybe that's a different story. Are they good enough to beat Clemson? I don't know. But if Florida State is respectable, uh, that looks a little better on the resume as, as well for, for Clemson. So I think at the end of the day, and, and I know BJ wanted to argue with me about this, because, hey, the, the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 looks good and this and that, and could you get two SEC teams in? I think at the end of the day, it's not supposed to matter, Ben. Hey, it's only supposed to matter what happens this year, but the people in the room making the decisions are human beings. Clemson's made the playoffs six straight years in a row. Yep. If they're sitting there at the end of the year with one loss, now now I'm not saying the margin of error for Clemson is not very small. If they lose again, I think it's you know very tenuous. They're not getting in. But if they're sitting there 11-1, win the ACC 12-1, they're getting in. I, I, I just, at the end of the day, they're going to get in. Kevin, I, there are two teams, and well, really three teams in college football that has earned the benefit of the doubt. Have you seen it? Clemson is one, Alabama is two, and, o, and Ohio State is three. Now, Kevin, the one thing you're going to know is this. Clemson's going to be in the AC Championship game, and they're going to want a Virginia Tech to be in because – if, you know, I, I just think that when you think about the ACC, people go, the ACC is bad this year. Was the ACC good last year? Were they good two years ago? Oh, okay. So Clemson knows we got to run through the ACC. And if I were only lost as Georgia, well, like, well, like BJ say, it's better to have a quality loss than a quality win. Does it get a better quality loss in Georgia? I don't believe so. Clemson understands that, that you know, because Kevin, you talking about, you talking about, uh, you're freaking out. Fire dabble, Sweeney. See? He ain't a good coach. I'm telling you, people, this is why we ain't in a position to make big-time decisions because we are frantic when it comes to our thinking. Calm down. DJ, you, DJ, you and those guys going to be scoring 60 points a game from here on out, 
And once again, if Georgia and Clemson meet each other again, guess what? Nobody not named Alabama going to have yeah, – we talking like our team's going to be in it. They won't. Your team is vying for a bowl game. <laughs> I don't care. So you can, you can get your – you quit thinking, oh, UNC was going to the college football playoff. No, they weren't. No, no, they were not. You can get that out. So, oh, Miami's going to beat Alabama. That was a storyline. That's not real. Did you see the game? It said <laughs> Miami scored 14 in the fourth quarter. They was losing 14. I mean, 40 to zero. Man, stop it. Stop that nonsense. <laughs> so go check it out, southernpigskin.com. You can check out the Southern Power Poll here after week one. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. here three and out on the southern pigskin radio network kevin thomas ben troop glad you're making us a part of your day we'll chat with josh pate the late kick with josh pate and 247 sports we'll start looking ahead to week two of college football ben as uh we we turn the page here midweek of uh, college football some interesting games i think out there uh on the docket in the acc and sec week two kentucky and mizzou very interesting and i think mississippi state and NC State, kind of an interesting matchup here in week two uh, that might be too off the radar, like national high-profile games, but could mean an awful lot as we uh, we get into it here. Yeah, and Kevin, something, something that I give these uh, these schedule makers a lot of credit for, they don't really wait. There used to be a time to where it took about maybe like week three, week four to try to start getting into the schedule. But now week two, you got to be ready to go. I think that Kentucky-Mizzou uh, matchup is going to be very, very intriguing when you talk about Co- Coach Eli Drinkwitz and obviously Coach Stoops and what they're doing uh, at both of their respective universities with both of those guys always trying to find – Trying to fight for just you know our you know staying relative, trying to fight for more than just you know because Kentucky is always going to be considered the basketball zoo. Mizzou, I mean the fact that Mizzou is in the SEC, I mean tells you all you need to know. But yeah, some very very intriguing games. And Kevin, if we was if we had to you know uh you know talk each other off the ledge in week one, don't worry, that ledge is going to be very very fresh in week two. Let's get geared up because we are our own worst enemy when it comes to these games. But hey, week two matchups, I mean, should be very very intriguing. And again, if you played an easy game in week one, you've probably got a uh, tougher matchup in week two. If you played a challenging game week one, you've probably got an easier go of it. Uh, I see at LSU, McNeese State, some of the things like that. But uh, Ben, from your standpoint, before we get to, uh, to Josh Pate next hour, who's got the most to prove, in your opinion? Who's got the most to prove in week two? It's got to be LSU, right? Because, Kevin, I mean, I understand the circumstances going on right now with the Tigers, with everything, and with the hurricane and them not being able to practice in their own facility. But you're trying to get out of 2020, right? The, the, the goal of 2021 is to, is, is to brush the dust off of 2020 and let that go. Well, you talk, everybody was very, very high on Max Johnson, going to the swamp, getting a big win, but they went 5-5. Five and five. So now, Kevin, well, you know how when you do good, everybody focuses on everything you're doing good, and when you do bad, it's, hey, this is the same LSU team that got the, the breaks beat off of by Mississippi State first game of the year last year, right? And that same Mississippi State team was not good the rest of the year. So LSU just getting back to what they do. I know that Mac Johnson, and, listen, flying across the country, going up against a very, very highly motivated UCLA team that's battling, uh, you know, for, really for just uh, respect right now in your uh, – in the Pac-12. So I think for me, it is LSU. Coach, oh, let's talk him. Because people love to talk and to go Tigers when y'all winning. <laughs> when you're losing, you're going to have to push that stuff back. So LSU, man, get a dub and get a dub, not just for yourself, but for your confidence. Because that schedule is only going to get rough 
moving forward. Certainly. And again, I think uh, you go into week two, uh, they play McNeese State, so that's a take care of business type game. But I think we're going to also learn about some teams. We've got a minute or so left here. Tennessee and Pitt this week. How good is Josh Heupel? How with it are they uh, after that Bowling Green game uh, last Thursday night? I think we find out more about them before they get into SEC play there uh, with a with a decent pit team uh, coming to town this weekend. Very, very impressive Tennessee. We one ran the football. You know, Coach Heupel, I mean, some of you said, Kevin, we thought it was going to be up and down, trying to get up and down the field. But Pitt always brings the defense, always. For the last four or five years, the guys have been really, really good. So, yeah, you're going to learn a lot about Tennessee. I saw a lot of former Tennessee balls. My home with Troy Flynn, those guys, flexing a little bit. Don't lose that energy if y'all if y'all do indeed lose the game. It's fine. It has happened before in Tennessee. They're not going to go undefeated. I can guarantee you that. All the Clemson, all the uh, Tennessee fans coming out of the woodwork. Is that what you're saying, Ben? Yeah, you know, listen, Philip Foreman, you know, he he was on Twitter saying congratulations, Tennessee. He probably didn't mean it because, you know, he they, they, they had to let him go. But, no, Kevin, I mean, Tennessee, one of the old superpowers. Hopefully they can stick with their winning ways. And maybe Coach Heifel is understanding that maybe that up and down game don't really work in the SEC. Just ask Mississippi State. You're going to have to adjust. Might as well adjust starting week one. Certainly. And we'll chat with Josh Pate of the late kick with Josh Pate coming up here in the final hour of the program. We'll also look at who's a contender, who's a pretender here after one whole week of, uh, of college football. Maybe who's got us leaning in the wrong direction uh, here early. We'll also look at the opening weekend of the national. Uh, Kevin BJ, not here. Ben Troop is here uh, on this Wednesday. We'll look at the Falcons and Jags opening up the NFL season. Uh, Falcons at home, Jags on the, uh, the road at the uh, Houston Texans. Also, who's a pretender and a contender after uh, the first week of the college football season? Here to uh, to talk about week one and look ahead to uh, week two, which is rapidly approaching. That's what happens when you get football uh, every single day for a week. Week two uh, just sneaks right up on you. Josh Pate, host of the Late Kick with Josh Pate, joins us here on 3 and Out. Josh, welcome. How are you? I'm good. It's funny you mentioned it that way. I was just talking to one of our folks here today. Week two is the fastest approaching week in the college football season because of how many months you spent just looking at week one. And I had a Georgia buddy. I grew up in Georgia. So I had a Georgia buddy who texted me the other day and said, you realize I didn't even know we played UAB in week two until Sunday, about mid-afternoon Sunday. That's how it works for a lot of people. Hey, absolutely. You're you're so caught up in the countdown. Let's talk quickly about uh, that uh, Georgia-Clemson game. What does that do in your estimation, if anything, uh, to the college football playoff picture uh, early on here in the college football season? I don't think it does a whole lot of anything. It removes margin for error for Clemson, so that's obvious, and it gives Georgia a little breathing room. I think the most interesting thing would be if those two were in some comparative analysis late in the year, if Georgia and Bama were to meet undefeated, and then you know Clemson wins the ACC title and it's them or Georgia for that fourth spot, that would be interesting to see how the committee handled it. But outside of that, I'll tell you what it did for me. It made me not even think about playoff with Clemson for a while because I look at the rest of their schedule, and I know everyone assumes they're going to go unbeaten, and they will be double-digit favorites the rest of the way. But let me tell you, when you don't have elite speed at wide receiver and you don't have at least an average offensive line, which it doesn't look like at the moment they have, that is a perfect recipe for close games that have no business being close games. I'm not predicting any one of these games they'll lose. I'm just saying that's the kind of ingredients you need in play to have all of a sudden your buddy texts you and say, can you believe it is tied with Clemson late in the third quarter? So I don't just assume they're going to go unbeaten the rest of the way at the moment. 
And Josh, even sticking with that point, how much, how much of it when it comes to teams like a Clemson that we they've just earned that benefit of the doubt? Like they lose to Georgia, and obviously Georgia meets the talent threshold, and it was just a defensive, like, you know, I mean, if you love defense, you love that game. But how much does a team like Clemson, they just assume, oh, they lost to Georgia, but they just gonna run through the through the ACC. And sometimes some of these teams, they they might not meet the talent threshold of Clemson, but they might have kind of bridged the gap here a little bit. Well, you're right. So in our industry, I mean, we, we do recruiting. And so everyone follows recruiting. So everyone knows, or at least they think they know, how talented Clemson is. And I don't disagree with any of that. But I'll tell you what people are not. People are not talent evaluators in and of themselves. When someone tells you how talented a team is, you can rest assured all they're talking about is either star rankings or mock drafts. They have not done the, the evaluation themselves. So my, my thing I come back to always is if I did not allow you to look at recruiting rankings, and all you got to do was use your eyeballs and watch the games. And I had you watch UCLA and Clemson Saturday. I'm telling you right now, a lot of folks out there could not pick the loaded roster versus the one that is loaded up three stars and low four stars. Uh, because you are absolutely right. Benefit of the doubt is in play. And that Tiger Paw, since it's parked in the top ten, top five every signing day, they're going to get benefit of the doubt. And it is because they got a lot of talent. But depth charts and you know preview magazines don't win football games. Josh Pate, the late kick with Josh Pate joining us here on 3 and Out. And we start to look ahead to uh, to week number two. Some interesting games. Obviously, the opening weekend, we had some great matchups. Obviously, those things are set up for TV, so we get to be uh, fully enthralled in the opening weekend of college football. But what about week two? Some interesting ones for me. Let's start there with uh, a team in the SEC, Arkansas, going and, and taking on Texas. Texas, of course, looked good against Louisiana. Is this a better game than maybe it would appear? I, I've had someone ask me that. I think it appears good. It's a, under a touchdown spread. It appears good to me. And it's Texas going on the road with a new offense for the first time. And that place is going to be on fire. I mean, it will be on fire. Because this is not later in the year when they've lost some games. They're, they're undefeated right now. So the whole world's in front of them. I'll tell you what to watch is K.J. Jefferson's the quarterback for Arkansas. And I don't think they can get by without running him 12 to 15 times. I think that gives them the best chance to win this game. And if they are able to do that, and they're able to just clog that game up and he falls forward on third and two after third and two after third and two, and all of a sudden Sart realizes, I'm going to have two or three less possessions than I thought I would, all of a sudden that turns up the heat a little bit on a very young quarterback, a very inexperienced quarterback, to execute on the road without a whole stable of big-time playmakers. He's got one or two of them they can really lean on. So if Arkansas is able to do that, if they just make it a messy, ugly game, a mutter, if you will, that is what makes the second half really interesting. I mean, speaking of a game that most people thought was probably going to be a different result come week one, Tennessee looked really, really good in week one running the football. But for those people who haven't had a chance to see Pittsburgh football lately, they play with a they got they play great defense. Does Tennessee kind of come back down to earth a little bit? Maybe not necessarily get beat up, but does, is this going to be a harder game for Tennessee that people know, especially when Pittsburgh definitely going to bring a defensive line that's definitely going to try to shut down their run game and force Tennessee to beat them to death. Yeah, it, you know, I'm almost glad the point spread came out the way it did here because it's kind of a jolt. It's kind of a grab you by the shoulders and wake you up sort of deal. When you look and you know you're playing Pitt in Neyland and you're the field goal underdog, that's fascinating. I never thought I'd see that. So now that that is here and that's reality, I don't think it's going to take anyone by surprise if that thing's a dogfight. I don't think it'll take anyone in Tennessee by surprise if it is a massive challenge. But here's what you get the added benefit of. You get the added benefit of having all the home field trappings and you get to also say, hey, we got nothing to lose. People don't expect us to win. Now, that's not reality. All their fan base expects them to win. 
but you can convince a locker room of that. It's kind of the same deal I just said, but in reverse with the Arkansas thing. You can't be letting Pitt come into your building and dictate terms to you. You need to control tempo of the game. You need to make them keep up with you. You need to make them trade points because if you let them get you by the throat and pull you out into the deep end, I don't know if that Tennessee team knows how to swim yet. So stay out of the deep end would be my advice. And by doing that, I mean score early and get the lead and make them play your style of ball. And Josh, this seems like uh, I'll just uh, we asked this to uh, to Ben earlier. I'll ask it to you here. And that Tennessee game seems like a good answer to this. But uh, who has the most to kind of prove to you in week number two? We saw a lot of questions about some top teams, but who's kind of a team that's sitting there in the middle that good, bad, whatever has a lot to prove here in week number two? Miami. I watched the Bama Miami game over again this morning. I've never said this before in my life, but it was forty-one to three, and I found myself thinking. De'Eric King has not played a bad game at all. I mean, I think the level of play that De'Eric King had against Alabama, even when they're down over five touchdowns, would have been good enough to beat some top ten teams. That's how good Bama is. Well, having said that, you still got to get it done. So they come home this week, and the age-old adage playing Bama is they'll beat you once, don't let them beat you twice. Well, they play Appalachian State this Saturday in Miami. The spread is single digits. It's a game that every Miami Hurricane fan expects to win. It's one that you penciled in as a W all spring and summer long. Well, they've got to get it done because nothing was really lost. No one was picking Miami to go to the playoff. So they didn't lose anything by losing to Bama outside of some recruiting edges they thought they may have picked up. But they will lose a ton if they can't get it done this Saturday because then you got Michigan State coming in, then you got conference play, and if you can't get it done and right the ship against App State, then nothing is certain, and you're several years into Diaz's tenure there, and then it gets really shaky. I mean, uh, you know, Josh, when I when I look at Mississippi State, NC State, I mean, that, that that's this this is my question mark game. I know when NC NC State is always they don't get that benefit of the doubt that a Clemson again, and they play really really good football. And NC State, Mississippi State, and Coach Leach, he's still trying to show people that he's going to make the air raid work in the SEC, even though he's playing an ACC school. How do you see this one shaping out, especially with a Mississippi State team that's always going to be fighting for identity rights, especially when you're looking at the fact that people don't think that uh, that air raid is going to work at the SEC? What do you think about this game this weekend? Yeah, I'm one of them that has my doubts about that. I, I'm, I'm talking earlier to a defensive guy in the SEC, not, not involved in this game, but just a guy who kind of has been around the block a time or ten. And he brought this game up, and he said – you just watch. I don't, I'm not, I don't have time on a grease board to break it down for you. You wouldn't understand it if I did, blah, blah, blah. But you just watch. That defensive staff at NC State is tailor-made. They know back front what Mike Leach does. They know how to defend it. If you go back and look at their history, they have defended it successfully. So I say all that to say I'm just going to repeat what that guy said. I mean, NC State's a small favorite in Starkville, by the way, in case people haven't checked. I think NC State's going to end up beating them, and that will be one of the few lone bright spots for the ACC early on this year. And that's obviously a storyline, Josh, going into uh, to week number two is the ACC. Where do you think the reality sits uh, with the league versus what we saw, which was obviously not good uh, in week number one. Uh, we obviously overreact week one to week two probably more than any other time in college football. Where does the reality sit uh, with the ACC, though, right now as they look at themselves as a league? Well, to get the full context of it, you're going to need this Saturday because Washington goes to Michigan and Oregon goes to Ohio State, and if those two get thumped, that's, that's the best thing the ACC could have happen. Otherwise, 
screw it. You're sitting there at this point. If even Clemson's not holding up their end of the bargain against the big teams, which was the only feather you had in your cap for a long time, then what are we doing? I mean, we're talking about AC Pac-12, which one's number five in the Power Five pecking order, and you've also got that little AAC situation to worry about, the Cincinnati's of the world, the Central Florida's of the world. I don't think the profile is very good, and it's inexcusable to be in that position, by the way. But I don't think the profile of the league is good at all right now. And, listen, that's a bad thing to say, but if you're Mike Norvell at Florida State, Bill, if you're Mac Brown at North Carolina, even though they had a setback in week one, the door is wide open. I mean, that number two spot is wide open. And, Josh, I mean, even sticking with the ACC for a second, I mean, I understand, like you said, Clemson is a, is a cash cow. It's, it's, not like the, it's not like the SEC, I mean, secretly don't be loving the fact that Alabama is what Alabama is because it keeps the prestige of that, of that entire uh, conference looking good. But does it have to be a certain team in the ACC to do it? Because I talked about NC State. You talked about Miami having something to prove. Is it because it's not the Miamis or the North Carolinas kind of leading the way behind Clemson as to why the ACC gets a bad rep? Because I understand you got good football, but does it come down to who's doing it, not that they doing it? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I don't think it matters so much. I certainly think if you were to just paint the generic map, that people would expect Miami and or Florida State to be the ones that shine for obvious reasons, uh, but it hasn't been them. And then Clemson pops up. So, you know, it, it wasn't until very recently. Like, if you're 19 or 20 years old driving around town listening to us, you've only known Clemson as a national power. If you're 35, 45, 55 years old, you've known Clemson being terrible. And so it's only been recently that that brand has expanded beyond anything other than regional in scope. And now it's a national powerhouse. Well, the point is, if it can happen at Clemson, it can happen at Virginia, it can happen at North Carolina, it can happen certainly at Miami, Florida State. It's just you sit around and you keep waiting. I think Georgia Tech could have it happen. It's a little bit different formula there. But you keep on sitting around and waiting, and you watch guys from the ACC go into the NFL draft left and right, and you watch fertile recruiting grounds get plucked in ACC country left and right, and you just wonder, with every new hire they make in that conference or every new year, I wonder, is this the guy or is this the year? And so far, we're still waiting. Josh Pate, the late kick with Josh Pate, our guest here on 3 and Out. Josh, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, guys. Josh Pate joining us here. And, uh, Ben, as we looked at some of the games we talked about with him, Pitt, Tennessee, as he said, Pitt, a favorite in Neyland Stadium. I think they call this the uh, the Johnny Majors Classic. As uh, Johnny Majors coached both of these teams. But, uh, to me, this is a show-me game for Tennessee, not – uh, necessarily that they're contenders in the SEC right now, but I think if you're Josh Heupel, you walked into a mess of a situation, guys transferring out of the program left and right. Okay, you got an opening uh, week win. That was kind of expected to happen. Now you got to do it against a solid team from the the ACC who had a horrible week. And, I, again, I think you can uh, – there's no way to sugarcoat that. But I think Pitt is one of those teams that, as you said – May not be the flashiest, may not come in there with the best defense or offense in college football, but defensively, they've made a lot of hay year in and year out playing good defense. And if you go, I think this is one where if they get you off the field, three and out, three and out uh, with that offense, we'll find out how deep Tennessee is uh, defensively because that's something they didn't have to do in week one. They didn't have to sit there and just play defense all night long because their offense couldn't put a drive together. Even when they weren't scoring in the first half, it was still five, six, seven plays, eating up a couple of minutes uh, here and there when they didn't score. If you can't do that against Pitt and that defense has to play all game, it could be an interesting afternoon there for the Vols. 
Absolutely. Pittsburgh, I mean, Pitt is definitely going to try to dictate tempo, and I think it's something you said, Kevin. You start a bunch of three. Pitt, Pitt's defense, it's kind of like Doe Campbell Stadium. If you wake those guys up, it's, it's going to be a long day. Pitt plays good D, and you know that Tennessee wants to run the football. We don't know how good Tennessee is throwing the football. Pitt is going to test them. Hey, man, we're going to have a better shot forcing them to be one-dimensional, and we're going to see how good they are. The thing about Hyper that he's going to realize here quick, they're waiting. You won week one, but it was against Bowling Green. So now it's, oh, it's not that they won. They played, they played Bowling Green. So now they shooing Bowling Green. Well, Pitt is not going to be no walk in the park. Pitt is, Pitt is not a walk in the park for anybody that plays them. So, yes, Kevin, the Pitt Panthers, will they're going to show us a lot about the Tennessee Vols. And, Kevin, you know just like I know, if Tennessee lays an egg and loses, the Boo Birds are waiting to come out and say, see, should have never hired this guy. These dudes aren't there. You know how it is. It's one week you one listen, one week you to go and next week, well oh. I think this you is know, just a matter. Well. I think it's just a matter of how quick that offense can go, and if they go up tempo uh, and, and have success, it really looks good. I remember watching him at Central Florida; and it was like on the ball snap, on the ball snap. It was very, very fast. But if you go three and out, you could be talking about a thirty-second possession and giving the ball back uh, to to the opposing team. In this case, it is Pitt. We got so much more to get to. Speaking of games, and we don't have time to talk about it right now, but Miami App State, yikes. That is a scary game for Miami coming off Alabama because this is a game you very well could lose uh, because App State is very, very good. But we'll get to that uh, later in the week. We've still got plenty to get to. Uh, look at the Falcons and the Jags. NFL is back. Uh, looking forward to that. Falcons, hey, it'll be our first time seeing Matt Ryan this whole time. Uh, no preseason. We'll be look- First time we get to see him here in 2021. He runs out for the first possession uh, of the Falcons opener. We'll talk about that. Who's a contender and a pretender after week one in college football and more. So don't go anywhere. It's three and out on this Wednesday afternoon all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Love to hear from you on Twitter as well, at Pigskin Radio. Welcome back. It's 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Glad you are with us here on the show. NFL getting started uh, this weekend for real. Falcons and Jags both kicking it off. Falcons hosting the Eagles. Jags at the uh, Texans. Let's start there with the Falcons. Uh, ben, we've talked a lot about this. Preseason ended last week. We've had a whole uh, kind of week of college football with no pro football. We talked a lot about this in the preseason. No Matt Ryan. Mike Davis, some key guys have yet to play. How comfortable do you feel with them now going into week one, albeit at home, against the Philadelphia Eagles? You're going to learn a lot about them, Kevin, when you think about our offense. That I understand Arthur Smith was probably, you know, error on the side of caution, saying, okay, when I'm looking at the preseason, I know this is more about these young guys getting reps, but I still hadn't seen this starting offense out there all at the same time. Philadelphia, if they can't do nothing else, they got premier pass rushes, you know, definitely at the interior defensive lineman. Uh, but I, I just think that it's gonna be it's gonna be some kinks being worked out with everybody. I do think it's gonna be a good test because Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know if anybody's afraid of him. And uh, I think Gardner Minshew got traded uh, over there to uh, to the Eagles. But I, I, I'm excited to see you know Kyle Pitts and Ridley and Gage and Hayden Hurst and you know uh, Mike Davis and those guys out there together. But uh, with all the skill positions. It comes back down to the offensive line. How is this offensive line going to look? Are they going to keep Matty Ice upright? Are there going to be more 50-50 pass to run or however you're going to do it? But all in all, man, the live bullets, they they about to, they about to jump off come Sunday. We're going to learn a lot about both teams. But if you are Atlanta, one, who can rush the passer? Two, is this young secondary ready? 
And how do they protect Matty Ice? If they, can, if they can answer all those questions, I think they got a good shot of coming out victorious against the Eagles. And, Ben, how do you look at the situation with uh, with the Falcons? Obviously, they played it close to the vest with certain guys on the offensive side. Is that to kind of play the cards for Arthur Smith kind of close to the vest, i.e. the Eagles? You don't even have preseason book, really, on what I want to do with my regular collection of guys, the schemes we want to run, or is all that like, hey, the scheme's the scheme, whatever you're running with backups is probably what you're going to run with Matt Ryan, uh, et cetera, out there? No, I, th- I think Arthur Smith kept it smart. He was saying, look, as long as I got Matty Ice to run his offense, he's going to make sure the offensive line is lined up right. He's going to make sure the guys are getting the calls. He's going to keep the pressure and accountability on guys like Kyle Pitts, who is a who is the prize rookie. And I think sometimes when you got a veteran like Matty Ice, we don't give him enough credit for how he – I mean, I mean, he's out there making sure that he's, he's directing traffic. He's making sure that guys are where they're supposed to be. Really is a bona fide number one. Gage is a number two. How you gonna look, how you going to use that 12 personnel with Hurst and Kyle Pitts? But because you got Matty Ice, it's probably why you didn't have to really uh, put him out there. And you had uh, inter-squad scrimmages. So you got to see some really, really good work from, from other teams. But – it don't matter until it matters. And now it does. And I do think that Matty Ice is going to go through some growing pains with it, with the offense that we haven't seen yet. But Arthur Smith better hope this works because you already know, Kevin, I mean, the Falcon faithful, they already wishy-washy when it comes to rooting <laughs> for the Falcons already. So if it, if it looks good early, they're going to give, they're going to, they're going to clap. They, you know, they're going to say, uh, you know, bravo. But if it doesn't, they're going to blame it on Arthur Smith more because it's cool until it works, and when it doesn't work, it's because they didn't get enough reps, but that's why that's why they go out there and play, and we'll see what happens Sunday. Yeah, again, I think that's uh, – the, the, you're right, Ben. I 100% agree because be, there will be folks like me who's like, if it comes out and the offense looks clunky and it's the fourth quarter and this Falcons offense has scored three points or, or seven points and that's it, people say, look, that's why these guys should have played in the preseason. I would be one of them uh, probably saying that, at least play a little bit. And if it comes out and looks great, then we, we will all, of course, say, you know, maybe Arthur Smith was a genius and knew uh, knew something the rest of us uh, didn't know in that situation. But uh, what do you realistically expect? Game one, Arthur Smith, new regime against a, an Eagles team that's pretty solid. I, I think they'll be pretty solid, so a good test right out of the box. What do you expect to see coming up on Sunday? Uh, a little bit more of what we've grown to see with Atlanta. I mean, Mike Davis can't be the – when you talk about the running game, if Mike Davis is the answer and you've had guys like Ty Gurley, Devonta Smith, and those guys, and they weren't able to do it, I think it's going to be more of Matty Ice trying to beat these guys through the air. And I know that Philadelphia is going to be licking their chops. I mean, Darius Slade, he's going to be mirroring Calvin Ridley. So you're going to have a guy, you know, right, you know, you know, right from my neck of the woods mirroring the number one receiver. How are you going to use Kyle Pitts? Not that you're going to use him. How are you going to use him? I'm talking about in the red zone. Obviously, the young man is, you know, uniquely uh, gifted with what he brings to the table, but he's very, very light. He's not the biggest guy you've ever seen, a little bit over 240 pounds at 6'6". You know what he does in the passing game. Do you utilize him in the run game? Is this defense ready to play complimentary football? I'm not saying you got to be the, the 2000, you know, Ravens or 2002 Tampa Bay Bucks, but you also can't be the 2020 Atlanta Falcons. You can't look like that. So you, it's always going to come back to Matty Ice in the passing game, 
how to use Kyle Pitts, and is this defense ready to get off the field on third down, force some turnovers, and give some more opportunities back to Matty Ice in that offense? Uh, certainly. Again, we look over uh, Jacksonville in an interesting opener. That's a divisional game at Houston uh, coming up on Sunday. Of course, we know Travis Etienne, unfortunately, out uh, for the season. It is the Trevor Lawrence debut. Uh, does he keep that streak of not losing in the in the regular season uh, alive, Ben? I mean, this is an interesting matchup because uh, obviously no Deshaun Watson there in, in Houston right now. Trevor Lawrence, first NFL start. What do you think we see on Sunday? Is it is it the same old disastrous Jacksonville Jaguars when the lights come on? Or is Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, actually got something going in the right direction here? I think you're going to see some flashes. I do think that Trevor Lawrence is good enough to go out there and get this offense moving in the right direction. He has built a nice rapport with LaVisca Chanel and those guys, DJ Chark and those guys. I think that James Robinson will have a, a really, really big role in the running game because that's what you – That's what you. the greatest thing a young quarterback needs is a solid running game. But just like I said about Atlanta, what type of offensive line does Jacksonville have? It's more retooled and – if you saw, uh, his, I mean, uh, Trevor Lawrence's very, very first play from scrimmage, he got sacked, and it was a sack fumble. That was his very, very first play, uh, you know, when he ran out there. But uh, they got as good a shot as any against Houston. Tyrod Taylor's it's, it's been it's been named the starter. I don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson up there with Houston right now. I think it's really hurting his trade equity when you look at the fact that people just don't know. Tyrod Taylor has been on a lot of teams. He's a really, really good player. He's not going to do too much. He's not going to turn the ball over, going to keep your head in the chains. So if, 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 if Jacksonville want to get up to a good start, this is going to be as good a chance as any. But once again, I don't know how good Jacksonville defense is. They got a lot of big names. I mean, they got Josh Smith and they got, you know, you know Chase on those guys. But I just don't know how good Jacksonville defense should be a more entertaining game than we give it credit for because Texans are going to play some aspiring football. And I know it's about this prize rookie named Trevor Lawrence. But if Trevor Lawrence have it, he's going to lose a regular season game. Guaranteed. <laughs> This year, uh, Kevin, you just don't want it to be game one, but it should be. It should be a. It should be an entertaining game because whenever you start off in, inside your conference, it always makes the game. Better. Yeah, and, and again, game number one for Trevor Lawrence, rookie quarterback. I don't. I don't even care if he's the number one overall pick, Ben. If, as you look at it, what is a reasonable expectation for Trevor Lawrence making his first NFL start? If if he does X, you'll come in on Monday and say, "Yeah, that was solid. That was pretty good." If he doesn't turn the ball over. Because the turnovers are so hard to overcome in the National Football League because guys you can turn those those uh turnovers into points. So if he can if he can just not throw the ball to the other team, not not fumble the football, he's gonna make some rookie mistakes. And if he understands if it's not there, just throw it away. Don't trust your arm. These are NFL DBs. They want you to think that you can fit that ball in there. That ain't, you know, that ain't T. Higgins over there you're throwing to. That ain't Justin Ross you're throwing to. You got, I mean, I like Chark and I like Chase. I mean, I, and I like uh, LaVisca Chanel and them. But if he doesn't turn the ball over, if he if he just trusts the scheme, if he dumps the ball down to, to James Robinson and, and just throws it away on third down, they got a really, really good shot to win because you don't you want to be a rookie, Kevin, but unfortunately you don't want to look like a rookie because that's what the defense is hoping you are. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done there for uh, for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. You're, when you're the number one pick, Ben, you're, you're going to a bad team. I mean, you look at the Peyton Mannings and all these guys that are coming in as top three, four, five pick. I mean, you're going to a team – that was picking you number one for a reason. Uh, obviously, I mean, I guess it seems to be easier said than done to say don't turn the ball over uh, in your debut. And we've seen some rookie quarterbacks the last few years come in, and it's, I mean, they look like rookie quarterbacks. They're going to make some things, that, uh, some plays that just don't make sense. Yeah, and, and unfortunately for Trevor Lawrence, 
we expect these these number one overall picks to come in and produce like right away. You expect you know a Baker Mayfield type resurgence. Like, hey man, you you are with a guy, so get us get us to the promised land. You seeing you know you seeing what you know what guys like uh, Josh Allen's doing uh, for Buffalo. And it's I mean the, the, the jury's still out on Tua, but you look at what Patrick Mahomes is doing for Kansas City, what Lamar Jackson is doing. Uh, maybe maybe they want him to have a Justin Herbert type season stats wise, but I don't see them winning a lot of games because. Trevor Lawrence can boost the reputation of, a, of an organization. I mean, but at the same time, he's only one guy. So I expect him to go out there and do, make some throws that wow you, but I also expect him to do some things to make you scratch your head and go, what was that? Because it, because sometimes, Kevin, the only way you're going to learn about the game of football is to get out there and do it. It is un – I mean, it, it is not – it is very, very humbling. Sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. <laughs> but I think, I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be fine. You saw him, you know – uh. You know, you saw him in the preseason. He can make some throws, man. But well, he got to have that clock in his head because, you know, one thing about it, he's 6'6". He's standing there and at, like a statue, and that defensive line wants nothing more but to get his behind out of the game. Yeah, we'll see what happens here on Sunday afternoon. Eagles at Falcons, 1 o'clock. Jaguars at Texans, also at 1 o'clock. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out after the first week of college football, Ben. We'll look at pretenders and contenders. Why else? Why wouldn't we do that here after only one game? We'll do that next here. Three and out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Uh, ben, we'd like to overreact after one week, so uh, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to, hey, who is a pretender or a contender here uh, after a week one? Teams that can or maybe can't take down the top team in their conference. So I'll give you a team, and you kind of lay it on me if you think they're a contender or a pretender. Let's talk about uh, Ole Miss, their big win on Monday night over Louisville. Are, is Ole Miss a contender or are they a pretender? They're a pretender. They're a really, really good pretender, though. I mean, they're they really, really good, but – the thing about the thing about Ole Miss, uh, you know, new, I mean, second year with Lane Kiffin, same result. They're gonna have to try to outscore teams because I don't know how good that defense is. So they're gonna put points on the board. But it, but the problem is, can you keep another team like Alabama from keeping? So for me, I'm gonna say no. I mean, Alabama's had one year to see what Lane Kiffin wanted to do. Matt Corral is a very, very good quarterback. Might be the best quarterback, not named Bryce Young in the division, but. Pretender, they're not going to beat Alabama. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat with you as, as a pretender. That Louisville team, it looked good by people who don't follow the ACC. Louisville was picked down near the bottom of the ACC Atlantic Division. So uh, they kind of beat up on a team that was not expected to do a whole lot here in 2021. Uh, what about Texas A&M? They kind of got off to a slow start in the first three quarters or so. They finished strong in their opener. Contender or pretender? I'm going to say pretender only because, I mean, I like Haynes King, but he had two touchdowns, but the problem is he had three picks. He had three picks in the first game, and you know by the time you play Alabama, they're going to be that schemed you up. They know what he does and doesn't do well. Now, that offense looked good, and Texas A&M got a really, really good team. They got probably the best team top to bottom, but I just think that a brand-new quarterback is going to beat Alabama. I'm going to say no, so I'm going to say pretender. So no rookie quarterback there beating, uh, beating Alabama. What about in the same state as Alabama? Auburn, are they a pretender? Or a contender? I know you really like the way they came out uh, in week one. I'm going to go contender, uh, Kevin, because the thing is, Bo Nix has already beat Alabama. This is his third year. And and the thing about the thing about Auburn was, 
what was Bo Nix going to look like? Bo Nix looked very, very efficient. I think it was 20 or 22, didn't turn the ball over. Oh, and I'm, and that's right. And they still got a run game. Derrick Mason might be the biggest, uh, you know, offseason acquisition you could get at, co- at D coordinator for Auburn. So for me, because Nick, Bo Nix has done it before, they gave him a new head coach. They gave him a new offensive coordinator. They gave him a defense. They got Tank Bigsby, and he's already done it. So I'm going to go contender for those boys in Auburn. I'm going to say pretender right now. I mean, I know they look good, but uh, it was Akron in week number one. I, I I will withhold judgment until they do something uh, a little farther into the season. What about your Florida Gators, Ben? I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm only gonna say contender right now, Kevin, because they can run the football. It's not because of the quarterback position because. Emory Jones didn't look the part. I know Mr. Anthony Richards and Mr. AR-15 himself was out there doing things, running the ball, but the problem is you got receivers. Now, now Florida did run for 400, but you did it against FAU. You got USF this week. They got the brakes beat off them by you by South Carolina week one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say contender because they got the run game going. But if that but but a couple of weeks from now, Kevin. We gonna we gonna, we gonna really see yeah. uh, if these guys can play because Alabama's coming to town. But for one week, I'll go contender because in order to be able to beat the best, you got to be able to reestablish a new line of scrimmage, and Florida was able to do that in week one. I will say contender in with that same guideline of that. We'll find out in a couple weeks when Alabama comes rolling in uh, on the schedule. What about Kentucky? Kentucky are they a contender or a pretender? Man, uh, just, just like what I felt about Ole Miss, they are pretender, but they look really, really good. Mr. Will Levis looked good. I mean, 367 yards, four touchdowns. You know Kentucky's going to play good defense, and they was balanced and running the football. But Kentucky's going to have to do it on a consistent level. In the last 41 years, Kentucky has beaten Florida one time. They have beaten Georgia, what, two or three times. It's not it's not something they're used to doing. They got a passing game, but I always got to judge them when they're going to go up against teams that are better than them. So like like what I saw in week one, but I still say pretender. I still think they're on the outside looking in. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think Kentucky's still pretender, even though they're much improved. What about NC State uh, coming up? Contender or pretender? For one week, I'm going to say contender because of what I didn't see from Clemson. Now, I know Clemson's going to be a different team, by the time they play NC State. But NC State is always going to be that team, Kevin, that we never, ever going to give them enough pub because it's NC State, not because of how they play, because of who they are. Like, that's NC State. I mean, they're good, but how good are they? Now, we're going to learn a lot about them. Syracuse got to see what it's like to beat, uh, uh, you know, Clemson not too many years back. If North Carolina don't run a freaking option, they got a chance uh, to beat. So I think with NC State, they, they might have the best team top to bottom offensively and defensively, not named Clemson. So for one week, I'll say the contenders. Yeah, and speaking of North Carolina, I think NC State, I would I want to say they're a contender, but no, I'm going to say they're still a pretender because I, I, I think they haven't shown up consistently in a big moment. Uh, some of the other teams, hey, we've played Clemson close. I think you got to at least do that before you're going to sell me on, hey, we're really close to being a contender. I want to say pretender with NC State. North Carolina, again, a bad, I shouldn't say a bad loss. It was a tough game on the road. They did not play well against Virginia Tech. Are they a contender or are they a pretender? They're pretenders. Sam Howell, while he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, definitely going to be a top-round pick. He showed what his biggest Achilles heel is, and that's throwing the ball to the other team in the most inopportune times you're going to see. I mean, Sam Howell's a good quarterback. He really, really is. He's done some incredible things. If BJ was on here, BJ going going inside the numbers. <laughs> but that market correction already happened in week one against Virginia Tech. And it wasn't even a game really top to bottom. He threw, he threw a pick at the worst time, and if that's against Virginia Tech, and you know by the time you play Clemson, if – you do meet them in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte again. You ain't gonna you ain't gonna have a Georgia defense. You gonna have a North Carolina defense, and it will get ugly. I'm gonna go pretend. Uh, again, these ACC teams we're hitting now. 
Very, very interesting. I'm going to say pretender as well. I don't know that they're – they might win the Coastal still, but I, I don't think they've got what it takes to beat Clemson just yet. What about Miami? Another team that was kind of – they were humbled by, by Alabama. I think there's a lot of teams been that are going to have that happen to them, quite frankly, throughout the course of the season. Uh, absolutely humbled by Alabama. Is Miami a contender or a pretender in the ACC? I, I want I want to say contender, but the thing about it is, Kevin, when I look at that Miami as a whole, Miami, what you say, a lot of sizzle, no state. Like they got some names, they got they got some big time names that can go out there and get it done, but they underperform. I watched, I mean, even though I'm not to take it back to last year, I watched I watched they, you know, Miami team get a just get embarrassed by North Carolina at home, and I know that Alabama is the standard. You kind of got to throw that game out, but like I said, by the if. Uh, if Miami meets Clemson, man, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a very very uh you know disrespected Clemson team because people think they ain't good. So I'm gonna go pretender because while I like the Eric King and this and this and this cast of characters, I don't I don't think those guys are built for uh, for prime time right now. Yeah, I, I mean I, I'm gonna say pretender on Miami until they prove me otherwise, right? I mean, how long have we said in the ACC? Oh man, if Miami can get back. Miami can get back. Miami can bet. Well, they've been in the ACC a long time now, Ben, and they've been to one. ACC championship game one, so uh, I'm going to say pretender until they prove me otherwise in that scenario. And finally, this was going to be an interesting one because I don't think a lot of people were expecting it in week one. Can it continue? That is Virginia Tech. Are they a contender or a pretender? Man, and you said it too, Kevin. I'm I'm going to go pretender because they, okay, they beat North Carolina, but. The thing about Virginia Tech is Virginia Tech has that they they good enough to beat anybody they play against, and they're good enough to lose to anybody they play against. So I like what they was able to do week one. I think they was I mean I think you know when you got a whole off season to play for one team and you had them at home. I mean the Sandman came out everything all the stars aligned. But are they are they ready to are they ready to contend with? Clint? I'm gonna say no. I like I think Virginia Tech is gonna be a good team this year. You know I think this entire ACC is gonna be all over the place, but for but are they ready to play with them boys? I'm going to, I'm going to say pretenders. I, I look at Virginia Tech, and I feel like they could be a pretender, but that, that seems like one of those that we may look back three or four weeks from now and say, how did that happen? Or, or, or is this the same Virginia Tech team uh, that we saw in week number one? I'm going to say pretender at this point. With the, uh, the full clarification out there that I feel like I could be very wrong, but uh, just, boy, that seemed like one out of the gate that caught a lot of people by surprise. I'm going to say pretender uh, now for Virginia Tech here early on in in the in the season. So week one, contender, pretender, had a little fun uh, doing that there with Ben. We'll come back. We'll put a wrap on this one, get you ready for Braves and Nationals. Uh, once again, Braves uh, trying to go out there and, uh, and win. Push that lead up to two and a half last night. See if they can add on to it uh, tonight. We'll get to that when we return. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network on this Wednesday. Here on this Wednesday, counting you down towards the Braves and the Nationals. Tukey Toussaint getting the start tonight for the Braves. Braves get it done last night. Uh, big win. Extend their lead in the East to two and a half. So things were getting tight there. Hopefully they calm down uh, here in the coming weeks. But uh, the, the Phillies the rest of the way a little bit easier schedule than the Braves. Braves got a big West Coast swing coming up uh, still to play that might cause them some problems. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, two and a half. Braves playing well. Guys continuing to hammer the baseball bin. And a, uh, a good night last night against a uh, Nationals team that, again, I don't I don't think any professional player is going to just quit. But obviously this is a team that knows 15 and a half games out 
with about uh, 20 some odd games to go, they're not making the po- they're not making the postseason and are trying to uh, to play out the string and maybe some of them playing for contract extensions, things of that nature. But you you, you got a team while they're down last night and uh, you needed to do it. Yeah, the Braves the Braves show why you know the Braves look like you know uh you know uh, the, t- the tops in the NL East uh, last night and uh, you mentioned Kevin I mean this national team is they're always going to be a head scratcher right I mean they got they got big names but they're not really getting that production and sometimes you know I, the the one thing that scared me about the Braves is kind of going away now I didn't want the Braves to play down to lesser competition sometimes lesser competition might not be talent wise it might be you know it might be record wise when you look at what the Nationals you know uh, you know uh, have right now but very very impressed about it by the, by, the, by these bats I mean when the bats are when the bats are, you know, as hot as they are, all you got to do as a pitcher and, and, and you know, and, and a pitcher staff and the closers, it's not not mess this thing up. And that's kind of what makes the Braves so intriguing. Kevin is you always know these bats. Listen, they can they can match with the best of. You might not have the best pitcher, you know, going into every single game depending on who you go up against. But these guys can leave the yard and they can leave the yard in a hurry. I was very very impressed because what what, what would have worried me, Kevin, if it would have went the other way. You got a team that has nothing to play for outside of pride with the Nationals, and if they would have made it a game, that would have been a hand scratcher. But yeah, they get a big win last night, and and I think now something you said, Kevin, is keeping the listen, man. To put some distance between you and and you know and them Phillies because I mean you know they coming. The Braves went from the went from chasing the Mets. The catching the Mets and the Phillies. Now they now the Phillies are chasing them, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a race to the finish. Because like I said, when you start thinking about wild card, I don't think that's on the Braves' mind. All Alex Anthopoulos and Smith no, it's winning the NL East. Ron Lacuna, no Ron Lacuna. <laughs> Mike Soroka, no Mike Soroka. They they try they trying to they trying to stick to their winning ways. Yeah, I think you want to come down to it. They play the Phillies late in the season. You don't want it to come down to hey, do the Phillies uh, have a chance to uh, to take it. Uh, from us, I think you play the Phillies uh, three games, and then you finish the season with the Mets. So I don't want to play the Phillies in late September and have uh, a three-game lead where a sweep. All of a sudden, it's a different story. I'm selfish. I don't want it to be like that. Uh, coming down the stretch, I want it to be kind of wrapped up uh, there towards the end of the season. We'll have the Braves and the Nationals coming your way here in just a little bit. Tuki Toussaint on the hill for the Atlanta Braves tonight. Appreciate Josh Pate joining us here in the final hour of the show. If you missed any of the show, go to ESPNCoastal.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube page.